You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Find more great shows like this at wearelibertarians.com. All right, let's get back to some boring subjects. Understand the risk to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Woo! I am so excited for today's show. I've been on the phones all day. I got something really exciting to tell you on the other side of this break. You're going to be so excited. It's going to be a great show today. Everything is about to go crazy. Warning. This show is for adults, produced by semi-adults, so the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Welcome to We Are Libertarians, where our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective while treating modern politics with all of the irreverence it deserves. There has been lie after lie. We toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, a 15-year veteran of politics and media, Chris Spangle. All right, welcome to the program. It is, oh, every four years. Here's what you have to understand about podcasts of the uh, political variety. Let me make sure I'm, I'm talking into my mic. I need to be more professional here. Let me adjust this. Okay. Um, every four years is like the Super Bowl for a libertarian or political podcast, okay? So, let me turn this down. Uh, Let me introduce my co-host while I fix my mic. Harry Price, how are you doing? Okay, you gotta unmute yourself. And Reinhold, how are you? (laughs) Oh, for for goodness sake. Yay! Uh, So anyways, so you do all these episodes and shows to practice for the big time, and then the big time happens, so yeah. E- e- Hi. Right. Hi everyone. Yes. Uh, we are unprofessional. We are un. un uh, I don't even know what happened to Reinhold. So we're just going to remove him and let's uh, kick him from the studio so he has to come back. Uh, not sure what happened there. So, uh, y- anyways, we were talking off air. So uh, there's a guy in Indiana. His name is Don Rainwater. Great guy. Known him for a long time. I don't know him well. Um, and. He's running against a guy named Eric Holcomb and a Democrat named Woody Myers. Many, many connections uh, to here to unpack. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I just want you to be aware of this because some exciting things are going to be taking place soon. Um, so Eric Holcomb is a guy that's former head of the state party of the Indiana GOP, former chief of staff to Mitch Daniels. Uh, who was governor of Indiana, and, and when I was executive director of the um, the the Libertarian Party of Indiana, it was Eric Holcomb who invited me to come meet with him and Mitch Daniels, who is a very libertarian-leaning Republican, uh, wanted to... They found a loophole in the law, and it said that state commissions had to be filled out by members of two parties. Well, Mitch, being the bright man that he is, said... Well, the libertarians qualify. Why are we appointing Democrats? And so uh, current Governor Eric Holcomb called uh, my boss at the time, Sam Goldstein, and I to to uh, uh, 
his office and we sat and had a great conversation. Eric Holcomb um, and current Congressman Jim Banks and uh, former Treasurer Richard Mordock are the only three state officials that had ever asked when I was the executive director for those four years to, to meet with us because they wanted to know what libertarians thought. So um, nothing, nothing bad personally. I mean, at least Eric Holcomb was willing to, to – to, now he's had a rough year. So with the, uh, with the coronavirus, he has followed the tr- Donald Trump CDC guidelines, implemented lockdowns, into, implemented anti-mask laws, and ooh, uh, this guy was going to cruise to re-election probably at 60-70%. He has the president's coattails. This is a deeply red state. This is a straight-ticket voting state. This is a... Um, he had millions and millions of dollars. He has an opponent in Woody Myers, who is not a nut job, not a crazy person, very accomplished professionally person, which I'll get to in a moment. Uh, and Woody Myers is a doctor running against him. Okay, so Woody Myers ran for Congress, lost to Andre Carson, and is kind of the sacrificial lamb because the state Democrats, after Joe Donnelly lost in 2018 to Mike Braun, the state Democratic Party is effectively the third party in the state of Indiana. The libertarians have, at this point, <laughs> more, more going. Uh, so uh, Woody Myers, if you remember, and you should go check out this episode of We Are Libertarians, it's the cost, Rachel's story. We talked to... Woody, our friend Woody, and Woody was the father of Rachel, who uh, unfortunately died at the hands of the state prison system because they had outsourced prison health to um, Corizon. And uh, Woody will actually be on Rob Kendall's radio show on WIBC tomorrow, and I'm going in with him to to appear because Woody, in that conversation, um, Rachel sold two pills for her boyfriend, and it was an undercover cop, got sentenced to 16 years in prison, and died because of a complicated blood disease because of the neglect of the state prison system. The CEO of Corizon, at the time, the company that presided over the wrongful death of Rachel Wood was Woody Myers. Woody, our friend Woody, I'll call him Claude, calls me, who says, you know, I saw you helped Rupert, Rupert's gubernatorial campaign. Nobody in the media, nobody in the political establishment will take me seriously. Will you tell my story? Greg and I went out, talked to him, and, and we told that story of the true cost of government. This guy didn't know what happened, how his daughter died, until we had someone translate the notes and explain how his daughter died. Fortunately, he has gone on. He, he didn't want to sue, and I'm the one. Mr. Libertarian over here who encouraged him to sue the state, to, to sue these companies, because I said, if you want justice for your daughter, telling the story will not matter unless you have the court records, the discovery, and you make these people pay. He's won a couple of lawsuits. He's got a civil lawsuit, still fighting after all these many years, and we're going to have a follow-up episode that I'm going to grab from Rob and I'll post in the feed. Um, but Woody Myers, running for governor on the Democratic side, is the head of that company that wrongfully killed our friend uh, Claude's daughter. Uh, and so now Don Rainwater's running against him. All right. Rainwater's the libertarian candidate. He has been getting a ton of grassroots support. 
quite frankly, for many of the people that I pick on. But okay, I'll take it, right? Uh, And the anti-mask crowd has really, thanks to Rob Kendall, who who will be on soon, Rob Kendall has taken up Don Rainwater, and I thought Rob was an idiot taking on a current sitting governor who has the complete command and control of the state GOP because he was the former executive director of the state party, former Senate candidate, former chief of staff of a governor. This guy has been to every nook and cranny of the state of Indiana. And he, uh, Rob Kendall's a Republican radio show host at the largest uh, conservative talk station in the state. And he starts picking on the governor. And I go, you pick on the Democrats. Like, this is radio 101, you idiot. Like, you're an idiot if you start picking on the power the the party that makes up your base, your audience. Like, what are you doing? Turns out Rob's a genius and I'm not because Rob starts going after the governor and COVID hits and he wins the talk radio lottery. And then he starts driving people to Don Rainwater. And so now all the Tea Party types, all the people that, uh, you know, held the rally, the anti-mask rally from earlier in the year started swelling around Don Rainwater. And then our good friend Abdul talk radio show host editor of indiepolitics.org does a poll the poll shows libertarian don rainwater at 24 percent. it shows the infallible eric holcomb at 36 percent. it shows the democrat at 30 percent, woody myers the poll then gets taken to big money within the libertarian movement and don rainwater got a hundred thousand dollar donation yesterday raised twenty six thousand dollars three days before that to put that into con- into context, the biggest vote getter and the biggest money candidate was Rupert Bonham in 2012, who ran for governor uh, as a libertarian. He had seventy some thousand dollars with an additional thirty thousand of in kind contributions. So that's so Don has effectively raised a hundred thousand dollars more than Rupert did, and Rupert had a massive. Now, Rupert almost lost. Uh, Rupert almost cost the election for Mike Pence, the current governor or the current vice president. Mike Pence almost lost that initial run for governor in 2012 because he was uh, disliked by many of the Mitch Daniels Republicans in this state. And then um, and they didn't trust him. And and he's Mike Pence. And he had didn't have a great reputation amongst the people of Indiana because he's he's an ideologue. Right. Three more weeks. Everybody estimates that three more weeks and John Gregg, the Democrat, would have beat him. Rupert gets four to five percent in that race. Now, libertarians don't steal votes. But what happens is that libertarians and libertarian candidates pull from Republicans and Democrats at an even rate. But 90, 80 percent of their vote comes from independents or people who were not going to vote at all, have never voted. They just see a choice that they like. But if you have disaffected Republicans and Democrats that swell that percentage up, then it it can cost other candidates some much needed support. And that's happening with rainwater. 30 when you have an electorate that gives 24 percent in that poll to rainwater, that's a lot of Republicans and Democrats defecting from the other two parties to the libertarian. Now, I'm hearing rumors that there's some even better polls out there. That are not being released. So stay tuned for that in the coming days. Um, But you should tune in to the Indiana gubernatorial race. 
You should donate to Donald Rainwater's campaign. You should volunteer if you're a Hoosier for that campaign. Get involved. Pay attention to it because it looks like it could be a very significant race. And, um, you know, we will hopefully talk to, to Don because it doesn't look like it was a fluke poll. It looks in, in Indiana is a very independent minded state. It went for Obama twice. It's gone for it's going to go for Trump. Trump twice. In 2007, we had a guy named uh, Greg Ballard defeat Bart Peterson. Well, Bart Peterson was the Democratic mayor, popular. Everybody was going to vote for him. It was a sure thing. The the sacrificial Republican just stepped up, named Greg Ballard. Nobody paid attention to the dude other than Abdul. Ha- interviewed him a few times, and then the guy wins. And everybody goes, oh, who's this guy again? <laughs> so uh, Indiana has a way of upsetting its political establishment when they feel that they have been treaded upon because it's a very libertarian state. When I was executive director of, this, uh, of the Indiana Libertarian Party, we continu- continuously had a 5% base. Um, I'm not sure what the base is now, but it's, it's a 5% uh, base which is a huge jumping off point for libertarians so stay tuned it's going to be uh, a race to watch and i've been talking to several people and gathering info and looks like it could be a 2007 upset and i'm not talking the democrat beating the republican i'm talking rainwater may come in second or first so that's what i'm hearing um now that's coming from Libertarian Party sources, so they're optimistic, of course. You know, who knows? Here's the thing about Libertarian polling that you need to understand on September 26, 2020, with six weeks to go. Libertarian Party candidates poll at 7 to 12% generally across the country. But then they settle at 1% to 3%, 4% of the vote. Now, why is that? Because people poll aspirationally a lot of times <laughs> um, or polls are not formulated correctly. Like, for instance, we have three automatic choices in Indiana. There will be a three choices for governor on the ballot in Indiana, three choices for president. In Indiana, when they poll for governor, you'll get polls that will leave the libertarian off the poll. Well, that doesn't reflect the choice in the ballot box. So, therefore, this is an inaccurate poll that should be discarded immediately. Mm-hmm. If you don't accurately reflect the choices on the ballot, then you have an inaccurate poll. All right, But when they're included, they tend to, to increase. And that is because of structural problems within the electoral system in the United States. We have straight-ticket voting here, which means you can lazily walk in and just hit the, the party button. Well... I don't want that. I want people I want people to if if I were dictator of this democracy, you would have to write in the name accurately of the candidate you're voting for. You misspell the name of the candidate, then you don't get, it doesn't count. You should be that informed when you're going to vote. Not lazily just like literally the the straight party ticket is a a holdover from the illiterate America from the 1800s like that's the, there's a device uh, the democrats are represented by a picture uh, a rooster here in indiana and it's because 
They would literally go out and, do you want to vote for the Democrats and hold up a rooster? Or do you want to vote for the Republicans and hold up, uh, God only knows. But that's where, like, the Republicans and the donkeys and the, the porcupines and all that stuff comes from. Illiteracy. I'm not encouraging that. <laughs> Tired of the illiteracy. So, something to watch. Uh, you may be asking yourself, what is, who is this handsome man in the back for the people watching the video? Joshua Sexton is a patron. And every year sends me a funny gift. And this year he sent me a painting of Dear Leader. <laughs> which love it very funny very funny thank you to joshua sexton for appropriately celebrating my birthday <laughs> sending me gifts and thanking me and being polite to me are the only acceptable uh gifts so i want you to know that's the photo we'll, we will use if the news ever requests a photo of you like spangle is missing you got a photo of him yeah i got one thank you for not <laughs> killing me in that uh okay uh let's uh also Thank our patrons, our $100 a month patrons, uh, Reinhold, thank you, Ed Brehob, Jason Doolittle, Christy Avery, Jeff Bennett, Matthew Durbin, Anthony Meyer, Brad Tracy, and a new $100 patron that I should have asked how to say his name because everyone knows I'm horrible with names, but Casey Feldpouch, <laughs> Posh Feldpouch. I, sh I really should have checked that. So my apologies, Casey, but if you're a $100 patron, you know that I'm, it, it, I, I wasn't ever going to get it right. Uh, so please send me a message. I would, uh, would love that. Um, couple, all of our patrons, by the way, are going to get a couple features this week that uh, you can participate in if you join the Patreon um, first is we will unveil the full feed. So right now, if you go back in the uh, megaphone feed, as I'll call it, the public feed that you get in Apple, you only get 400 episodes. I capped it at that. Everything from 2018 on, um, everything from 2018 on was more academic than the, the older days. Um, not that I'm ashamed of the, I'm not ashamed of anybody else in the older days. Let me put it that way. I'm ashamed of me. Uh, pre two at 2018 um so we put that behind the paywalls and and there's like three four five hundred i think the feed that you get on public is 400 and the feed that if you subscribe to the patreon that you get will be about a thousand so there's like 600 other shows that you're missing if you're not a patron so five dollars a month and up and you can join the patreon and you can get access to the full feed secondly um there was an article that I shared this week about the Substack revolution and uh, how the the media, the the panic, the panic, the pandemic, and everything is uh, slowly destroying the news business, which I don't agree with. It's destroying the uh, the centralization of the news business, and anybody who believes that media bias is a problem should appreciate that there is a decentralization of news taking place and we're heading back to a time like the 1800s when news was identified by its bias. The Rushville Republican, the Corden Democrat, the, the, these newspapers told you exactly where they stood when they were started in the 1800s. And instead of this uh, faux notion of the media having no bias and we're, we're straightforward and objective without bias uh, towards either side all that all that's going away because individual journalists like matt, matt taibbi all the dispatch guys they're all leaving institutions and starting their own you saw andrew sullivan leave the uh the new yorker and now he's 
or, or New York Magazine, whichever one, for Substack. And the guy went from making $200,000 to $500,000 a month <laughs> or a year or whatever, something crazy. And so individual journalists are starting their own outlets. I didn't want to go work for anybody. I wanted to be my own person who could, could do things the way that I wanted to do it, talk with the people I wanted to talk with, have the co-hosts that I wanted to co-host with, and not be beholden to reason standards or National Review standards or the Washington Post standards. I wanted to do my own thing, and I started We Are Libertarians 12 years, or, uh, in, in 2012 to achieve what, where we're headed. And so, but tools change, and there, there are things changing, and this Substack system is really awesome. And I've been thinking about leaving social media for two to three years, like deleting all of We Are Libertarians and my personal stuff off of social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you know, all of its uh, minds, everything, except Parlor because of our good friend Renzo. Um, <laughs> but uh, I just, I think Harry said it best. It's killing us. Mm-hmm. Harry, you hate social media. You're not even on it anymore. Tell us why. Because it's killing you. All right. So like the algorithm messes with you. Facebook has gone on record that the, the messed with the algorithm to see if they could do like experiments on people. Um, also, the way the algorithm changes, it also depends on your active searches and where you are. This is what some fun you can have with VPNs is just switch your city with a VPN and just watch how your searches just change or just your search engine, you know, like search for something in Google and then open up DuckDuckGo or uh, DMZ or Yahoo just pick different search engines. All these different things are like, are messing with your brain based off the cookies from your Facebook, Instagram, or your uh, whatever TikTok feature you're on this week. I am positive you're recording on your, uh, your computer mic, by the way. And so I don't know that I would close everything down, but I probably would end active participation. I'm still thinking about it. So I may change my mind and I may do it and then change my mind as I do. Um, But, uh, there, there's this great, and let me see if I can pull this up because I thought it was such a good explanation of the problem of social media um, and doing what I do and what I want to do full time. Um, I thought this was a great clip that I'm going to play for you uh, in just one moment. So this is the... Uh, uh, this is Jeffrey Goldberg talking to Tahanishi Coates. So this is obviously some sort of liberal conspiracy. Uh, so I, I'm just warning you, please don't grab your uh, your uh, fainting pearls and, and uh, freak out. That, But I think this is, if you're doing political opinion, as we do here on We Are Libertarians, I think uh, Tahanishi Coates makes a great point as to why he does not do Twitter. So check this out question that's probably from jack dorsey um will you ever come back to twitter and or other social channels <laughs> no it's actually from somebody else not jack dorsey. okay no um what do you mean no 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 never never say never no i'm saying never really <laughs> yeah I mean, this is on the record yeah i'll never i'll never do that again no why talk about it um, I think it goes back to what we were talking about before, like this idea of, um, first of all, I had fun on Twitter. It was very fun. It's a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I, I miss it. I wish I could beat it. I really do. Um, but I think part of maturity is understanding what is good for you and what is not good for you. 
and I don't think it was good for me. I am not making a um, declaration about Twitter that I think holds true for all other Twitter users. I I'm talking about me. Um, I'm a person that's, you know, sort of slow, as I said, that likes the nuance of things, that likes books, you know, that likes, you know, the space and the time to think, that, you know, um, enjoys slowing things down, you know, a little bit, that, you know, writes things that I think, um, or tries to write things. You think Twitter is bad for you or bad for society or both? I'm hesitant to say it's bad for society. I think it's bad for me. And I suspect that it's bad for writers like me. In other words, writers who do what I do, I think it's probably not good for them. Um, it's not good. Like one of the, it's not good to be able to have an opinion. For someone like me, someone like me, who already has a voice, who already has a platform, um, it's not good for me to be able to just immediately vent whatever opinion I had while I was drinking coffee that morning with my wife. That's not good, you know? Um, what do I know? Have I thought about it? Have I batted around back and forth? Have I read about it? But you're, you a, guy, you're a guy who, when you were much less famous, you were blogging, and your method of blogging was to take people inside your mind and mm -hmm. say, this is what I'm thinking about right now. Mm -hmm. I don't know the answers. That, that doesn't have any appeal anymore? Yeah, but I had a really controlled check on that, and that was my, my comment section. Um, which was a really curated group of people who could push back and forth and go, you know, all different ways. And sometimes I could highlight their opinions and say, you know, I thought this yesterday, but X, Y, and Z person said this. You know, in Twitter, you know, you're, you're in a situation where, like, not only can you not see the person, you don't have any established relationship with the person. Um, communication, I think, I think, again, you know, I'm hesitant to make grand pronouncements, but I think it's really, really based on, there has to be some shared something, you know? Um, I think anonymity is probably bad in terms of the things people will say to each other. Um, I think that's the first thing. And then I think, you know, even within anonymity, there can be, you know, some sort of relationship, the lack of real <sighs> relationship. I think the things, you know, sometimes people say that they would not say if they were sitting next to each other. Mm -hmm. That's tough. I mean, whatever I write in my articles, you know what I mean, um, I have no problem saying, you know, to people. You know what I mean? If I wrote something about, you know, President Obama when he was, you know, in office, you know, and I had to go into a room and I had no problem talking to him. I had no problem repeating it at all, you know. Um, a little nervous about it, but I could do it. <laughs> you know, I could do it. You know what I mean? Um, when you start, like saying things, you know, about people, call it in a way that you know if y'all were sitting next to each other. You just wouldn't do it. You just wouldn't do it. I, I don't know. And I think maybe the platform lends itself to people doing that. Now, maybe that people with better control, you know, X, Y, mm -hmm. and Z. You know, um, somebody like me shouldn't be. I shouldn't be there. I shouldn't be in that room. I love this so much that I cut that video out and put it on my personal YouTube. Um, what, what are your reactions to what he was saying. Let's start with Harry. All right. Um, I see what he's talking about. Now, me personally, I love anonymity online, but with Twitter, that is true. Like you can put this opinion out, this unprocessed opinion, and then you will, can get hit by 
50 to 100 people who you have no idea who are, who even either they do want to spar a good situation and want to talk about something, or they're just a bad actor and just like, nope, I'm going to run. I want to ruin your day because this is how I make my day happy. It's that weird disposition that I, that's why I dislike Twitter. Like I, I have it there because, you know, it's a good way to host my PGP key and I've got an account there. So no one can just create like, oh, this comes from Harry. Nope. My account's just there. So someone can't say, oh, I saw Harry post this on Twitter. Nope. That wasn't me. That's see, my account hasn't tweeted anything. That's why I've got Twitter. So I still keep the account there. Um, Reinhold. You got to unmute yourself. Let's get it together, guys. I will fire you from your free jobs. <laughs> we need to get back. See, this is why, you know, we got to get back in the studio. <laughs> I know. Yeah, we're... I have all the control. Yeah, Reinhold had had some mic issues earlier. He was he was messing with it. I'll give you my... my um, and just, you know, Reinhold, when you think you got it, just speak up and we'll, we'll let you know. But I love this. And I loved it whenever I posted this in... Uh, let's see here. Uh, uh, 2018, March of 2018. <laughs> um, you know, because I think if anybody has listened to We Are Libertarians for the, the run of this show for nine years, you've heard me growing up. <laughs> you've heard me becoming more mature, taking the responsibility that has been handed to me by this audience more seriously. And I'm not going to pretend that this is some giant audience, but it's a big audience, and I do have some influence over people. And the more seriously I take that responsibility of what I say into this microphone and how it impacts you on the other side, the more people listen and the more people trust what you're saying. And I, I take that very seriously, and I'm very honored by that. And part of the problem that I have is like him, I'm impulsive, you know, I'm not, not uh, like impulsive, like the president, but like I'm impulsive, right? Like I posted the Brianna Taylor article and someone just didn't read it. And I told him he was a fucking idiot. Like, I mean, he's objectively being a fucking idiot. Right. But should I say that? That's not nice. You know, and right. sometimes a uh, part of what I, what I want to get to is, I really, I love and hate social media, right? It's given me a career. We've used organic reach on social media to grow this audience. We we no longer have that ability on social media because the pages, if I want to get you to look, to see anything from We Are Libertarians on Instagram and Facebook, I have to enrage you. I have to outrage you. I can't post a thoughtful comment and I'm going to remove Reinhold. He's, he's really freaking me out. Um, <laughs> just, his, just his eye in the, in the video. Um, we live stream this Saturday mornings usually, so check, uh, check uh, around 9 on Saturday mornings Eastern. Um, so I love it because it's given me a career. It's given me every job I've had. I've learned to market you know, on social media and, and build what we have here. You know, but increasingly because of the clampdowns that social media is making because of the Russian propaganda stuff and threatening legislation and all that, it's increasing the amount of outrage I have to build to get attention. It's incentivizing people to be awful. Well, I don't think that's healthy for me. And I get tired of like waking up out of a coma 
after 30 minutes and going, why did I just, I have thousands of books I want to read. Why did I just read the opinions of people who haven't read anything and don't know anything? They're just telling you their gut reaction, then it's totally uninformed. Why would I, why would I read these people when I could go spend my time reading a person who put work into a research paper or a book that will then enrich this audience? But the serotonin hit of being and wasting that 30 minutes or an hour, it's addictive. It's addictive to me. It's addictive to you. And then as you read all this stuff and you think things through, you post stuff because I like to think in public so then we can discuss it. But then in the comment sections, again, I'm talking to people. I have put thought into this. I have read. I've done research. I spend hours a day prepping for this moment for these two hours a week. And the output of that is on my social media and I'm thinking and researching and making connections. And then I write something and I spend 30 minutes writing it. And then the person who hasn't read anything and hasn't thought anything through then just looks at what I say and goes, nah, <laughs> I read something on PJ media that totally negates your 20 years of experience and, and the, the hours that you spend on this. I just don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> I kind of, I want but I love writing and I love talking to people and I love sharing the output of the research that I put into this show. I love the community that we are libertarians and my personal social media has built. And I don't want to give that up. And that's why I've never left social media. Um, I, I, I think over time you do, change people's minds i've definitely changed people's minds but you know something like substack gives me the ability to build a private wall and put up things as i'm thinking these things through headed towards this show and you can comment on it and we can have a conversation within the substack website and i just think it might be healthier for us and for me and so you know, I I've, I, I want to test the thread. So on uh, debate night on the 29th, I'm going to post a link to the Substack that I've been putting together. And uh, everybody is free to come and chat back and forth with each other around the presidential debate. And you can sign up for the email and, uh, you know, get, get probably a daily email from me at, that we can all then you know, have a conversation about what I've found, what I'm thinking. I can hear what you think. We can have a conversation about it. But like the quick take stuff and, and all that, I just don't know that I want to do that anymore. Like I just don't, it's exhausting, Reinhold. Right. And so there's different ways of looking at social media as well. So I can give you an example. Um, <clears throat> I was doing a lot of writing for uh, a website called Watchblog. And Watchblog was actually a pretty popular place back in the uh, early 2000s, 2004, 2005, when I first got started in it. It was 2004, um, writing for it. And um, it had a lot going for it. It had a, like a three-column format where you had left and right in the middle all on the same front page, and everybody could see each other's articles, and there's a lot of cross-communication. And we had kind of a good following. We were getting a lot of views. And then the owner decided to sell to, um, because he got out of politics, decided to sell the website. Uh, but the one thing that we were always complaining about is that we didn't have options for sharing our articles to uh, social media automatically. Like we would be able to, 
you know, like today you just, you know, you, you, you write an article for a blog and it automatically posts links to 12 different social media sites. And um, that draws people to the content. Um, so it refused to do that. And then it ended up just dying on the vine because no one knew about the website anymore because no one's going to Google to search for things anymore. They're getting all of this information from their social media feed. So I think social media is more of an advertising platform than a communication or a conversational platform. Yeah, which is why I don't I don't think you can leave social media completely and you can post your stuff and say, hey, here's my thoughts on this here. And, and you're going to get a fraction of the people because, it, let's say, we have 100,000 likes on our Facebook page. Our reach right now is 4 million people. So our, we, our weekly reach through this election season on We Are Libertarians' Facebook page is 4 million people. That's not insignificant. That's a tremendous amount of power because 4 million people are seeing what you're saying. And we debate you heard our debate three weeks ago how to use that power responsibly you know and like yesterday when ron paul had his medical incident on video i i i wanted to set a tone right because i didn't i don't know what happened medically so i didn't want to say what i think happened medically you know i didn't want to um you know i have my differences of opinion on minor things with with ron paul but like overall i respect the man like i love the man he's been important to me in my life and he's important hell hella important to the libertarian movement but i wanted to human being yeah yeah and i wanted to use the reach of our social media to set a tone and that was recognized and we were putting like that tweet was embedded in the washington examiner like I, i like i i'm an i'm an old member of the libertarian community at this point. And, and uh, you know, like, I think there's benefits to being on social media because you can help lead people in a better direction. You can help people think like, I'm not a political, I'm, I, I'm not a political consultant anymore. I don't do that. I'm not interested in doing this because I'm, I'm here to simp for the libertarian party. You know, like I, I'm here to make you think. And provocation can make you think with, with but but like outrage doesn't you know and there's a difference and you have to be on social media to drive people to what you're doing but there's limits to it like is it the appropriate place to post deeper thoughts or have a conversation with people and and i i I don't necessarily think so but we have the benefit of being number one in apple's search for podcasts when somebody types in libertarian right like there's, you know, we could make a pitch for more patrons to sign up or increase their monthly donations so we could then buy Google ads, right, like, which can drive a lot of people or, you know, so there, there's ways that we could increase without necessarily being front and center there all the time. Um, and I recognize that there's a risk once you go off platform and not actively participating and you're just kind of dead, you're shooting your stuff out there. You're not you're not gonna get the, uh, the 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 drive like Twitter. Literally, I run major Twitter accounts with hundreds of thousands of people, and you post a, tw- a Twitter link, and you literally get ten people clicking. <laughs> like it's it's not a great driver of of things. So, right. I've got like fifty you know fifty followers on my end. So you know, I'm not out there driving a lot of traffic for myself, as it were. But yeah, 
the 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 problem with social media and you guys kind of hit on a little bit too uh, earlier but i didn't hear the whole conversation but it, you get sucked in at a point where you start wasting time like there's a, a productivity issue where you can be productive using social media if you use it right but if you get sucked into these arguments and these back and forth with people who aren't serious about having honest debate you can waste hours of your day mm-hmm. and when you do that how what could you have done in those two i could have written an article in those in that time right or mm-hmm. or pushed out you know uh, a quick uh, clip of some audio or something you know there's stuff that i could have done in that time where i'm like why am i wasting my time arguing with these people who are just being purposely obtuse i'm spending my time arguing with people that dozens of people might see it and neglecting what might improve the information that millions can see or hundreds can listen to or that you know so i don't know but what i'm asking for is twofold first watch for the debate for that email i'll send it out everywhere participate sign up um it's chrisspangle.substack.com Make sure you check out our websites. Sign up for our email newsletters. Um, we send out a morning email newsletter with a bunch of news from libertarian sources, and it's a, it's a great newsletter, um, the best, called the Libertarian Aurora. Start finding ways to engage. You know, Subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe. Subscribe to the email newsletter. Check our websites daily. Um, we are libertarians.com and libertyexplained.com. Tons of great stuff. And that's where I'd like to, you know, focus more of my time than than social media. So if you follow me on any of these platforms, you follow We Are Libertarians, start moving over to the stuff that that we quote unquote own as opposed to giving the the, the revenue and the clicks and everything to social media, right? Shut up, Harry. Harry's laughing at Oh, you think you own your email list. Yes, I know. MailChimp could kill us any day now. But but long as you have email addresses, you're fine, because that's protocol. Yes. Right. So signing up for uh, the most important thing is if you love, if you are serious about ending media bias, if you are serious about seeing, you have to incentivize creators financially. You have to go sign up for our Patreon. You have to go sign up for the Patreon or Substack of other people that you like. Like you have to support independent journalists because the more that they see revenue and a living can be made elsewhere, other people are going to go. I'm done buying into the to the uh, the centralized power of the Washington Post, and I'm going to go start my own. And we'll get a ton of great, interesting. There's a ton of great, interesting journalism out there. It's just yes. that you won't click on it because it's attached to the New York Times, and you think they're bad because you are propagandized by a president. So, you know, it, there is like go to longform.com or longreads.com. You'll see so much great journalism. And a lot of those people are patron, are, are, are have a patron in a magazine or a newspaper, um, or a radio network or whatever, or some of them are independent like us. But you have to start financially incentivizing a different type of media model if you want to see that. So, with that being said, stay tuned for that. Um, I want to talk about Brianna Taylor. I don't know that we're going to get to Amy Coney Barrett today, just for the sake of time. Um, but uh, I will briefly say that Trump has uh, picked Amy Coney Barrett to fill out. She was number one in her class at Notre Dame. Um, they will probably confirm her. McConnell has the votes, and it will change the the. Uh, it will move the court right allegedly. 
um, giving conservatives six of the nine seats. Now, here's my thing about this. Like, the law is much different than a political argument. And so if you're the, the notion, like they, they need to hurry up and confirm this Supreme Court justice that's a conservative so then I can spend the rest of their lives complaining about how liberal they are. Because you, dear complainer, don't understand how the law or the legal system works or how the Supreme Court works. That ignorance is on you. That is not on their supposed leftism or conservatism. And I see so much of this, like something like abortion, for instance, what Roe v. Wade will never be overturned. If you think that Roe v. Wade will be overturned or if you think that it will be reaffirmed, you're lying to yourself because you don't know what's going on. What will happen is little cases that chip away at abortion rights, but fundamentally it will never Roe v. Wade will never be overturned. Um, so like Amy Coney Barrett even says that on the Supreme court, there's literally like one vote declared for overturning Roe v. Wade. And it's Clarence Thomas, who was confirmed in the nineties. You will never get a John Roberts, Alito or any of these other people. Um, so stop the freak out. <laughs> like there's, there's no reason for it. Um, she is a, uh, she was on a list of five finalists and she's the, she would be the youngest member of the current court at 48. She, as well as at sixth, Catholic. I, th- I believe the other two justices are Jewish, maybe. Um, Trump would have a third appointee. Richard Nixon had four. Uh, she joined the faculty later of Notre Dame. She clerked for Justice Scalia and shares his constitutional views. She is described as a textualist who interprets the law based on its plain words uh, rather than seeking to understand the legislative purpose of the, uh, of, of the now and she's an originalist who applies the Constitution as it was understood by those who drafted and ratified it. I will say this. I find it insane that most of you think that Mitch McConnell, Donald Trump, and these other Republicans would spot a constitutionalist a mile away. I don't understand why Republicans continually walk around thinking that these people know how to judge a, a, a Supreme Court justice that understands the Constitution when they themselves flagrantly violate it on a daily basis. It seems like a complete uh, thinking error to me. Um, she has been a judge for only three years. She was appointed by Trump uh, for the Court of Appeals in the Seventh Circuit. Her husband is a former federal prosecutor. And uh, they have seven children, all under 20, two adopted from Haiti, and a young son with Down syndrome. Um, she was a member of Faculty for Life, an anti-abortion group. And uh, she is getting dinged for basically being religious. We had a Ryan, – Reinhold and I had a, a long argument about this, and I'm much less uh, skeptical and, and think that it's basically a Pyrrhic victory to argue her, uh, her Catholicism because – she the 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 idea reinhold that she is uh this people of praise group that she was in that's supposedly the handmaid's tale and she's going to sub, sub, make all women submit while she herself is a career professional working mom who is going to be on the supreme court kind of undercuts the idea that her husband makes her submit every single day well so i've done a lot more research since we had that conversation so uh there are a lot of things that and part of what I was saying was that I think this is the things that the Democrats are going to bring up, not necessarily what I believe, as it were. Um, I do not. I do know that there are there are people out there with that mindset. 
that are starting to gain some traction and grow as a movement. But I don't know if they'll ever be anything to worry about. The concerns I think that a lot of people have uh, that I would have had about um, her nomination uh, weren't stemmed from her being a Catholic. I don't think anybody cares about her being a Catholic. It was some statements that she had made where she said that when deciding the law, she should take in the Bible over the Constitution on certain areas. And that's where I think a lot of the the chuff was really coming from um, that I had seen. And uh, I going back and reading more and seeing some things that were said and rereading the, the quotes, I don't know if I particularly believe that she is that still has a mindset or she ever really did. Um, I think there's a lot of, you know, picking apart pieces of things that were said in law journals years and years in and 1994 years ago, sign them <laughs> huh? like I, I was listening there's a great podcast called I think it's called opening arguments and it's a right. like like a blue podcast art cover if you see it and so I listened to them break it down and I didn't in that hour conversation about her hear anything that jumped out to me they were they were more liberal and they were like framing things as a bad thing when I like my girlfriend and I were like, why is that a problem? Like they, she wrote this article in the nineties about the death penalty. And she basically said, you know, if you're a federal judge and you have a mandatory, mandatory sentence, like uh, giving the death penalty and you were a Catholic who is bound by your faith to not give the death penalty, you recuse yourself. And so this person was saying that's disqualifying because she can't do the job of the judge. So why would she, let alone the fact that the criminal sentencing judge is different than the Supreme Court judge. Um, but because appellate and she taught law at, at Notre Dame for a long time, so she, theories of laws come into play more often at the appellate and Supreme Court level than knowing criminal sentencing. But she did teach criminal law at Notre Dame. You know, that's an example of the leftist freakout where her religious beliefs, they're, they're overdoing it, in my opinion, and they're going to make they can't help themselves. Kamala Harris is being pulled off the campaign trail. She's going to do what she did with Kavanaugh, and they'll all have her lead the tip of the spear because she's the nominee for vice president. And she is going to overstep and overreach, and she will end up hurting her election chances because they can't help themselves. They've, they don't have anything really other than her religion which doesn't seem to be as extreme as they're making it out to be. And when you make it out to be extreme, millions of Christians like me go, I don't think you understand what you're talking about. And really you're just kind of being insulting because you aren't even taking the time to figure out what I believe or what she believes. You're just being anti-Catholic or anti-Christian. And these are the very people who are constantly telling us we need to listen to the experiences of other people, but then they themselves don't do it, you know? And so that's where I think this is going to be, an absolute mess that is going to backfire on the Democrats if they go down this route. But it's like their only card to play, you know, trying to compare her to the handmaid's tale is ludicrous. It's all, well, see the, so where that comes from is the group that she belongs to where women cannot hold like positions of power within that group. And, but I've, there's groups like that. It's been around for decades. I know Job's daughters when I was growing up was a, was an offshoot of Demolay and and things like that. So that's the kind of where that stuff comes from. But then you also have, um, there are some non-religious based concerns about uh, her as well. The fact that she's very willing to overturn past presidents and, and 
stare at a Cree and, and um, she's more of a um, Thomas kind of justice in that regard, where she would be more willing to overturn past precedent uh, if she felt that the past precedent was wrong. And I'm not necessarily opposed to that. I mean, that's how we got the good decision of citizens United that the left wants to overturn for some idiotic reason. Um, but the, the underlying tone is always going back to abortion, right? So it's this abortion debate that is fueling the, the visions of the, of the left and the right. So this is how you whip up people in order to vote for you. I know there are tons of people who are like, I would vote for the libertarian, but I don't like their message on abortion. And it's the single issue voter that they're going after with this argument. So that's what they're going to go after her for. Not necessarily they care about her religion. They're just trying to find something to wedge into a, a, a perception of she's going to go in and, and overturn Roe v. Wade and there's going to be abortions all over the place. Not over the, you know, they're going to get rid of all abortions across the United States and then we're going to have a big issue. Right. So that's, that's the tip that they're trying to wedge in with, with Kamala, what they're going to try to do there. They're going to do it in a way that's going to irritate a lot of people. But I kind of think that's the the point of it. That's the, it's always been the point of this whole conversation from the left and the right on this whole issue was because it's easy meat. If bullet, bulletin board material is, as we were saying, Dan Carlin. Yeah, said, right. B- it, right. The, and the newest Dan Carlin episode is amazing. You have to go listen to common sense. The last two episodes have been phenomenal. Um, there's very few issues that motivate people anymore. It's immigration, it's abortion, and it's gun rights. And the fact that nobody knows how the government works and civics education has been completely demolished because people find it boring. Um, it, it leads people to the, the, the conversation around politics is totally unrecognizable from how the government operates at this point. And, and, that's part of the problem, and that is destructive, honestly, because then you start electing people who are catering to your insane wishes as opposed to creating good government, right? And that's where I'm like, I'm all for her overturning precedent because some of that precedent was set by people who were trying to be political as opposed to governing correctly. I'd much rather have somebody who is overturning the precedents of Woodrow Wilson and LBJ uh, and the courts from the Warren era than than where we're at now, but you know I'm yeah, I'm an arm, you, I'm an armchair quarterback on all things legal. So the switch in nine say the switch in time saves nine. You, yeah. you know the whole story behind that, right? So mm-hmm. that was the packing of the court caused the court to kind of change their view on all the New Deal stuff that they were labeling as being unconstitutional. They suddenly said, "Oh, they're going to pack the court. We better give them a little bit." So they changed and said, "Okay." we'll let a couple of these things through and there's arguments over whether that really happened or if it was just one justice who decided to change his mind and about something and that kind of threw the court over the, the, the add to add context to that out there so fdr starts passing the new deal and the yeah. court starts striking down major parts of it and he gets pissed and so he threatens to pack the court tries to pack the court and it doesn't end up happening um right. so he didn't happen because he he started getting his things through mm-hmm Right. So that was the perception was that the court said, oh, they're going to pack it if we don't give him what he wants. So let's go ahead and do that. And that's when he started getting his um, getting all those programs there. Um, but there was also decisions about whether or not um, 
the commerce clause and what the what the commerce clause means and what it used to mean and what it means now and uh, whether or not it can be used to tell people what they can do on their own property and that stems back from the uh, that same kind of era right so there's a lot of bad precedents that are out there that libertarians see and say man it would be really great to get somebody in there and and get rid of all that bad precedent and return us back to what the idea was a more more federalist type of uh, country and so we asked for these originalists to come on there. Now we've got Gorsuch has come on and he's done a fairly good job. Uh, uh, more surprising than I expected. Um, I think that we might see the same thing with, with uh, this candidate, but yeah, I don't know. I know she's really, from what I understand, she was picked because she's um, Donald's sister's, a friend of hers, right? So, or mm. a favorite of hers, right? So it's a favorite of the president's sister. Uh, and that's why she, her name bubbled up so quick and, and why she's only been a, a sitting judge for three years. And here she is getting ready to be put on the Supreme court. She's also um, big in the federalist society, a member of it, which is a mm-hmm. conservative. It, it's been kind of the spearhead of the project over the last 40 years to implement conservative justices. And a lot of Trump's appointments have come from the federalist society, I personally do not understand the freak out about the Federalist Society. Um, I follow them. I, I listen to a lot of their stuff, watch a lot of their videos, and a lot of it I go, yeah, why are they treating these people like they're evil incarnate? Uh, if you watch it, it's just more of a a libertarian point of view on, on legal matters, but that's probably why there's a freak out. So, Harry, jump in here before we move on to Brianna Taylor. I actually really don't have that much with the whole SCOTUS decision on this candidate. It's honestly like a, I really don't pay that much attention to a lot of those like judges. Think, so I don't have anything. Okay. It's, it's fine. Fair enough. Let's move on to Brianna Taylor. Um, I am surprised. I guess I shouldn't be at how many libertarians and conservatives have bought hook, line and sinker, government propaganda around this um and so what we're going to do is share an article right by radley balco who is a libertarian journalist uh who is the best on criminal justice issues his book uh the rise of the warrior cop is essential reading for any libertarian and he wrote he works for the washington post uh and he wrote an article called correcting the misinformation around brianna taylor and like our our comment section on a couple of our posts around Brianna Taylor are truly unbelievable, but I guess I shouldn't be surprised because so many people fell for the Kentucky Attorney General's BS. Like it's just plain BS. Like he literally did what Bob Barr did with like Bill Barr did with the uh, the Mueller investigation, where he come out came out and framed it, and then everybody on the right just bought it, as opposed to reading the Mueller report, like. The Kentucky Attorney General came out and told you what he wanted you to know, and you don't like fact check it and look it up. Like he, it's not that he's wrong. This is again a legal thing. It's not that he's wrong. It's not that his facts were wrong. It's not that he lied. It's that he told you half truths. He told you things that were true, but not all of the context. And so people on the right, because a black woman was killed by a police officer, and 
the libertarian who goes, all these Republicans and Democrats are terrible. The Republicans and Democrats are destroying the system. But I'm going to def- to support and defend Republicans until my dying breath are the most frustrating people on the planet. You can't sit here and tell me that the two-party system and both sides have failed and then never, ever criticize the right for anything. This Kentucky attorney general just spoke at Donald Trump's GOP convention. He's a protege of Mitch McConnell. Mr. Integrity, <laughs> right? Like, this, he, Mitch McConnell was at his wedding, which it's not a sign that he's some secret racist as some of the media reports were trying to portray it. But like this guy is not, he he is, he has a political future that he cares about and he's trying to look pro police at a time when that's a popular stance on the right. And so he's not telling you the truth and there's tons of reporting around it from all different sides and everybody, but the, the government agree is, is in agreement. And so the propaganda pushed by this Kentucky AG at this decision was astounding. And to see everybody not even question it while they call themselves free thinkers because they don't think the virus is real. You just go, what the fuck? Um, So. So this nothing. I was genuinely depressed when you started hearing that Louisville was setting up barriers and that the state of emergency was declared. And then that morning, kindergartens and preschools and schools were closed in Frankfurt around where the decision was going to be made. And you just, like, it depressed me for a couple reasons because, A, it meant that what was what always happens was going to happen. There wouldn't be any accountability for these officers for their actions. And you knew it would be incredibly insulting in the process. And then you knew the reaction to that was going to be small business owners and people losing their their investments, their homes, their properties. Like, And you can say, oh, well, that's just money, and this was a life. It's not an and-or decision. You can have empathy for the people who didn't do anything wrong and had their properties destroyed and the people who died and lost a family member. Like, You can have empathy for everybody in the situation. Like, It was just depressing knowing. But I will say this. We get so invested in the fight between were the cops right or was the victim wrong or right. And like we get into that argument and hyper focused on that moment of death and it turns into like some gruesome Roman Colosseum argument of the cops are killing them and we need to and like we get so focused on that. We never step back and ask why were the cops there in the first place? We never step back and go, what is the system? And, and for, for my friends on the right who don't get this, that's a lot of what the protests are about. It's not that a black, not just that a black person was killed. It's that nobody ever seems to disengage from that horrible fight and say, the laws are, smoth- are smothering us to death. Libertarians will sit there and tell you that laws are killers. Every time you pass a law, force is used to to fight that law. But then they will sit there and defend the killers of Breonna Taylor to the death. That's, again, it doesn't jive. What most of the protesters are saying is, we've protested peacefully. We've elected politicians. We've done everything the right way. Nobody is listening to us. The no-knock warrants, the qualified immunity, the drug war, these are the problems. That's what needs to change. And instead of going, yes, let's work on changing it, we go, 
No, you just need to support the police harder. Here's my black and blue flag. Now submit. And you go, what are you talking about? Like, we're talking past each other. You know, this is a great example of Breonna Taylor never should have, have died. These police officers never should have been facing the prospect of a charge. The, the drug laws are the problem. Society is at large saying no more drug laws. It doesn't work. Everybody's being killed and put in jail for laws that don't work. Look at Portugal. Look at Chile. When you decriminalize and legalize drugs, life gets better for everybody. There's less crimes. There's less point of contact between police and quote unquote criminals. And so, um, yeah, Henry, stay tuned. Henry says, the police knock on the door at a suspected drug house. No answer. They break open the door to gunfire. The police get to protect themselves. I'm going to explain to you why you're 100% wrong. You're parroting propaganda from the government. You don't know facts. I, I apologize to the first Secretary of War for the United States, Henry Knox. But you're wrong. You just don't know what you're talking about. And you don't care enough to look. And that's the frustration is that you're saying this bullshit and you're lying to yourself and you're perpetuating the system that is going to kill another Breonna Taylor and going to enable another cop to kill another Breonna Taylor and then he'll go to jail and or not. Like the idea that the only cop who got charged in this entire thing is the least responsible of the three for the death of Breonna Taylor and the charges are for shooting a wall it was more illegal in this situation for the cop to shoot a wall than it was for him to shoot brianna taylor it's so insulting and it's the insult it's the system that enables that and these charges and the lack of accountability and the judge isn't going to pay a penalty you just go what so let me explain to you why most of you are completely wrong about the facts around Brianna Taylor as eloquently put by a person who knows what they're talking about in Radley Balco. And I'll put this article in there. Stop making yourself look like a fool on the internet because you, it's just, Oh, it's so frustrating it, that like, I just look at this and I go, all of this is preventable. The death of Brianna Taylor, the charges against the cops, the riots in Louisville, all of this is preventable if we actually take the root problem seriously. But we don't do that. We argue over whether or not the shoot was justifiable or not. It's fucking ghoulish. So, Brett Hankerson, Hankinson was uh, charged with wanton endangerment, and uh, Radley Balco says this was probably correct as was the decision not to charge the other officers involved in the shooting. If ballistics had conclusively shown that one of the bullets from Hankinson's gun killed Taylor, he should be charged with reckless homicide. But according to Cameron, the AG of Kentucky, the bullets that struck Taylor could not be matched to Hankinson's gun. There's the problem. There's the problem that the police who conducted the raid were relying on a warrant produced by another officer, which was then signed by a judge. And so there were many flaws in this process. And so... Essentially, how do you prove that the bullets that entered Taylor's body were fired by the gun of the three officers? If your ballistics don't match, it like justice demands that you can't you can't just charge all three officers with murder. Well, we all we don't like this situation and we have no concrete evidence of which one of these three officers killed her, but we're just going to charge them anyways. That's an that 
that would be wrong in and of itself, right? Like if it, 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 if you were in that situation, you got to put yourself in these mindsets, right? Like if I were the officer, would I want to be charged with murder? And then it's going to get overturned by the criminal justice system. So why even fight that? Right. The problem, the root of the problem is why were they where there and how did it happen? So there's, there's a lot of criticism that goes along here. Um, you know, Cameron himself, the AG, was selective in what information he released in that press conference, which is why many people are asking what information was selectively hidden from the grand jury. And that information is not being released. And so you're going to see increasing calls for the grand jury testimony and all of that information to be released. Cameron's not going to want to do that because he wants to run for governor or Senate or something bigger than AG. And so he's not going to want that out there. Um, so furthermore, Balco writes, Taylor's death was not, as Cameron suggested, simply a tragedy for which no one is to blame. The police work in this case was sloppy and the warrant service was reckless. Taylor is dead because of a cascade of errors, bad judgment and a dereliction of duty. And it's important to be clear about the facts. So the first myth that he takes on is that this was, this was not a no knock warrant. It was absolutely a no-knock warrant. It says it on the warrant, if you look at the warrant. The portion of the warrant authorizing a no-knock entry cited and uh, cited cut and paste from the other four warrants signed that day. A no-knock warrant is an incredibly serious warrant that is issued by a police department for executing... It, it should be a last resort because these are violent drug criminals. Everybody's got an Uzi on the other side of the door. The prosecutors and everybody involved just copied and pasted information from four different warrants and the judge just signed off on them. So the, uh, this is a violation of a requirement set by the Supreme Court that no-knock warrants should be granted when police can present evidence that a particular suspect is a risk to shoot at police and destroy evidence if they knock and announce. They didn't do that. They didn't produce that evidence. The police claim they were told after the fact to disregard the no-knock portion and instead knock and announce themselves because by at that point, someone had determined that Taylor was a, quote, soft target and not a threat. So they were supposed to knock. She was not a threat and not a major player in the drug investigation, but there were problems with this account. If Taylor was a soft target, why not surround the house, get a megaphone, and ask her to come out with her hands up? Why still take down the door with a battering ram? And why still serve the warrant in the middle of the night if she wasn't an imminent threat for which the no-knock warrant is designed? And why it is a last resort governed by Supreme Court rulings? Another myth, the police knocked and announced themselves and a witness heard them. This was the most frustrating part of this entire uh, press conference because he cited a single witness who claimed to have heard the officers identify themselves as police. Taylor's lawyers, who was the boyfriend the at the house that fired the gun, Taylor's lawyers say, um, and let me say his first name just so I have it. Uh, excuse me. Brianna Taylor. I'm sorry. Her boyfriend comes into play later. Um, Kenneth Walker. Kenneth Walker's the boyfriend. So um, Taylor, Brianna Taylor's family's lawyers uh, interviewed 11 of her neighbors many living in the same apartment building as Taylor. 
According to the lawyers, no neighbor heard an announcement. The New York Times interviewed 12 neighbors. They found one, just one, who heard the announcement, and he only heard one announcement from the police. He also told the paper, with all the commotion, it's entirely possible that Walker and Taylor didn't hear that announcement. Cameron neglected to mention any of this. Cameron is the AG. Moreover, in a CNN interview Wednesday night, Walker, the boyfriend that was there that fired the gun, said the witness to whom Cameron was referring initially said he did not hear the police announce themselves. He repeated that he didn't hear anything in the second interview with police. And it was only after his third interview that he finally said he heard somebody announce. That's critical context that Cameron, A.G. Cameron, completely neglected to give. So even Kenneth Walker, the boyfriend, has admitted that the police pounded on the door for 30 to 45 seconds. Therefore, by definition, this was not a no-knock raid. So with a few exceptions when conducting a raid, government agents must knock and announce their presence and purpose and give anyone inside the opportunity to let officers in peacefully, thus avoiding violence completely to the person and the destruction of property. If the police simply pounded on the door for 45 seconds and never appropriately announced themselves, that's even worse than knocking at all because it makes Walker and Taylor even more fearful inside that people were outside to do them harm. So if the police say they announced themselves and one neighbor heard it, then they probably did. So what if the other neighbors didn't hear it? Well, this is the entire purpose of the knock and announce requirement. It's to uh, provide ample evidence to everybody in the house to come out peacefully. And so if they, I, I live in an apartment complex and there's four doors right outside the doors here. If that were taking place, I could hear it in my bedroom. Even if I were asleep, you hear this in the, in an apartment complex. Any of us who have lived in an apartment complex understand this. If the police didn't yell loudly and clearly who they were loud enough for the people inside to hear the knock and announce portion is rendered completely meaningless and the entire action becomes no different than a no-knock raid. As the Times reported, the officers on this raid were trained by the man who is now the president of the Louisville City Council. He says, he told a local paper, during his 19-year career as a police officer, he had instructed recruits at the local training academy about dynamic entry, especially when executing a warrant at night. He told the police to yell police at the top of their lungs specifically so that the occupants would not mistake them for an intruder. Now, the next myth is that Brianna Taylor was asleep in her bed when she was shot. It's true that she was not in her bed and, and shot and killed while asleep. Uh, many reports of, from the media and activists claim that is true. That's, they were in their bed when the police began pounding on the door. They were awakened at 1240 a.m., and there's every reason to believe Walker when he says they were frightened. The man who shot the police, the next myth, is Brianna's Taylor's boyfriend, that he was a drug dealer. Taylor's ex-boyfriend was dealing the drugs. A man named Jamarcus Glover, who was the main focus of the police investigation. They were on again, off again. He was a bad guy that many of her family did not like. She had blocked him from her phone. She was trying to get away from this man. He was clearly a dangerous individual. The man in the Walker was her current boyfriend, not her drug dealing boyfriend. Okay. He was not named in the investigation whatsoever. So 
a few people have pointed to a leaked police memo that includes quotes from Glover taken from recorded phone conversations at the jail as proof that the two knew one another. The Louisville police themselves have said that the leaked memo was an early unverified draft written mid-investigation that these quotes were taken out of context and that they were being used as deeply misleading. For example, Glover said Walker was also in jail. He was because police had arrested him after the raid. The next myth is that Brianna's Taylor's ex-boyfriend implicated her in his drugs dealing. The Times reported that according to friends and family Taylor's social media posts, she was on again and off again with Glover, who friends and family and Taylor herself thought was bad for her, and Walker, who said they say treated her well and was, by all accounts, a good and decent man. Glover was in and out of jail, and Taylor paid his bail more than once. Brianna Taylor paid his bail. She seemed to genuinely care, care for Glover, implicated in the investig- investigation, and she, but she was trying to extricate herself from uh, Glover's life. There are a few other instances in the warrant that have some, have, some have said implicated Taylor. In December 2016, she rented a car and loaned it to Glover. He then loaned it to a man involved in his drug dealing, and that man was found dead in the car. But police who were investigated were satisfied that Taylor had no knowledge of the murder or of how Glover and the used car, when she loaned it to him, would be used in this incident. And the other incident occurred two months before the raid when Glover retrieved the package he had ordered delivered to Brianna Taylor's home. The police claimed a postal inspector told them this package was suspicious. The postal inspector later said he has no record of that. And according to the attorneys for Brianna Taylor's family, the package contained clothes and shoes. Some again have pointed to that leaked memo in which Glover seemed to suggest storing money at Taylor's apartment, but the police found no cash at the apartment. Glover has also said since publicly that Taylor had no involvement in his drug dealing. The, the quote-unquote criminal... Glover said she wasn't involved after her passing, and he may have some incentive to say otherwise. In July, attorneys for Taylor's family say prosecutors presented Glover with a plea bargain that listed Taylor as a co-defendant. The city of Louisville, the prosecutors, the police were trying to implicate Breonna Taylor in all of this to cover their asses, and they, they gave him a plea deal that if he just copped to that, he would, get, he would get a lighter sentence. He would get reduced charges if he implicated her. Prosecutors, for their credit, say the plea deal was just a draft, though Taylor's family's attorneys say that claim is dubious. Glover declined that plea deal. He said, I'm not going to do that. So some people have said the judge who signed the warrant is not to blame. It was signed by Louisville Circuit Judge Mary Shaw. The portion of the warrant affidavit that requested a no-knock raid was the exact same language used in the other four warrants. It stated that drug dealers are dangerous and might dispose of evidence if police knock and announce. It contained no particularized information as to why Taylor herself was dangerous or presented such a threat. And that, according to the Supreme Court, is not sufficient to grant a no-knock warrant. Yet Shaw granted it anyways. Perhaps she provided more... Perhaps she provided more scrutiny to the other parts of the affidavit, but she did not ask for more evidence in the no-knock warrant portion, and she should have. The only possible defense of Shaw here is that, as regular readers of Balco know, judges seem to grant no-knock warrants when they aren't merited and in defiance of the Supreme Court precedent with regularity. And there's no harm done if the no-knock position of the warrant is illegal because the same Supreme Court who has said the exclusionary rule doesn't apply, and that is precisely the problem. 
So the, another myth. If Kenneth Walker hadn't shot at the cops, Breonna Taylor would still be alive. Walker admits he fired first. Remember, this is the good guy boyfriend. But he says he fired only after he and Taylor repeatedly asked who was pounding at the door, got no answer, and after a battering ram busted open the door. If Walker reasonably believed that the men breaking into the apartment were not the police, he had every right to defend himself and Taylor. At this point, the police had the right to return fire. The latter would be true even if the courts later determined that the police had failed to properly identify themselves. The law protects the cops, so even if they don't follow the procedures correctly and they bust into your house and you start shooting at the cops, they have a right to shoot back, and if they kill you, they're not going to prison. That's why you saw a guy just shoot, go to get a, a Class D felony for shooting at the wall but not Breonna Taylor's body. There's every reason to believe that Walker didn't know the men outside. Walker is not a criminal. There were no drugs in the house. You don't need to own, uh, have a license to own a gun in a private home in Kentucky. But Walker had gone the extra step of getting a concealed carry license. That isn't something that hardened criminals hell-bent on killing cops tend to do. Neither is calling 911, which Walker did after the shooting. Moreover, Walker knew about Taylor's past involvement with the drug dealer Glover and that Glover wasn't happy about him and Taylor seeing each other. He said he had feared that it was Glover or his associates outside the door. That seems totally reasonable. The really sad part about this is that Cameron's misleading statement about the witness who heard the police announce, along with the fact that Walker filed first, has led some to put the blame on, for Taylor's death on Walker. What Walker did that night was what any one of us would do. What every conservative tough guy on our social media says is that if you come into my house, I'm going to shoot my guns at you. I don't care who you are. I'm, I'm shooting first and asking questions second. He wanted to protect the woman that he wanted to marry. He wanted to protect his property. You'll make all the excuses for Kyle Rittenhouse, but not one for Walker. You'll lie about Breonna Taylor and then call yourself a free thinker. Fucking despicable. So you can't just ignore this stuff because this tragedy has so many layers of problems around it. Questions of why serve a warrant in the middle of the night on a witness tangential to an investigation? Why did the police alter the times on their reports? The most recent activity involving Taylor on the search warrants was in January. Why wait until March to serve the warrant on her apartments? Why didn't police do any further investigation to better establish how involved the drug conspiracy Taylor really was? To simply blow this off as a tragedy for which no one is to blame is an insult and to the life and legacy of Breonna Taylor, but also the dozens of innocent people who have been gunned down in their homes before her and will be gunned down in the future, I might add. And the effort by Cameron and others to make all of this go away by feeding the public half-truth that blamed the victims in the story, Taylor and Walker, who are innocent victims in this, for Breonna Taylor's death is inexcusable. Bradley Balco writes, we could prevent the next Breonna Taylor. We could ban forced entry raids to serve drug warrants. We could hold judges accountable for signing warrants that don't pass constitutional muster. We could demand that police officers wear body cameras during these raids to hold them accountable and that they be adequately punished when they fail to activate them. We could do a lot to make sure there are no more, more Breonna Taylors. The question is whether we want to. It's and not many of you seem willing to do that. 
You'd rather lie about the death of a black person than actually take any of this seriously. And it's the fact that she's black that a lot of you seem to have a problem with, that you'll make up bullshit. But then when Kyle Rittenhouse does what he does, you'll make every excuse in the world for him. He didn't do anything wrong. You'll lick the boots of every cop and, and, and prosecutor imaginable to make excuses for Breonna Taylor dying. You don't give a shit. It fucking pisses me off. And then you have the audacity to ask, why are people in the streets protesting? Well, we've been talking about this for 30 fucking years. Libertarians have been on the forefront of civil liberties and fighting for this stuff. And then when we are at a moment where the majority of America is ready to make a change, you just start licking those boots. You just go, the cops didn't do anything wrong. She, oh, she, she was a drug dealer. You spread fake fucking news. And then you, you literally spread the, you verify the whole Russia bullshit that we've been arguing about for three years. Because you're just buying into state propaganda. And just because it's repeated over and over and over and you've got Ben Shapiro and the Daily Wire and these conservative news sites repeating the lie over and over, that doesn't make it true. There's real facts here that you can fucking see. What is wrong? I don't, what is wrong with people, Reinhold? I don't, like, everybody's in agreement except for the politician that's lying. And then everybody just repeats lies back to me. And then they go, why are you mad about this? Well, it's an us versus them type of mentality, but there's something that's really interesting too is a lot of the people who are claiming that uh, the the police weren't wrong in anything they did here are also people who call themselves patriots. And if you go back and look at what that word supposedly meant, so back when that kind of that kind of word was used in the American Revolution, the patriots were the ones who are fighting against the government oppression. The no knock rating, basically the the unwarranted searching of people's homes, the what what the government was doing against them, right? The the patriots, the one fighting against that, whereas the Tories were the ones who were supporting the government, you know, England and saying that the that the you know do, basically doing the same thing that these people who call themselves patriots are doing. These are the people who were supporting England. During the Revolutionary War, this is exactly what they're doing. You can't call yourself a patriot if you're not going to fight against overreach by the government. And make no mistake about it, all of this is overreach by the government. There's no excuses for people for for this situation to have happened. There's literally every bad decision was made and bad system was put in place to to allow that to occur. We – we demonize people who are not even, you know, found guilty of any kind of crime or even suspected of, you know, we, we demonize them as criminals. You know, people are calling the, uh, the boyfriend, a criminal, he should have had a gun, felon, they got it all wrong. And it's, it's so frustrating to see that because, (laughs) Um, these are the people who are also trying to claim that. So a great example in, in something that I saw recently. So a woman gets arrested at a, a, a game of some sort. I remember what kind of 
a football game, basketball game, or not, it was outside event, right? Because because she was trespassing, because she didn't want to wear her mask. They asked her to leave. She said she wasn't going to leave. Therefore, she was trespassing. So they came and grabbed her, and they forcibly removed her. And there's a video of a relative or a friend or something uh, for this person who was so incensed about this that he went down to the police station and he's filing out a report and he's videotaping all things saying, you know, I'm usually for the police and backing the blue and respect everything they do. But this time they went too far. And it's like, <laughs> that was, so, you know, as soon as some of these people run into injustice from the government, all of a sudden uh, they become, you know, I want to have a protest and we should have this guy fired and this is all should be changed. But when it happens to other people, apparently it's not important enough for that to happen. They're going to defend the police against all of that. And it's, we've militarized the police. We've, we've put so many laws in place that the police can basically target somebody and just do it. There was a, a, a program in a city recently where I think it was in Tucson or somewhere that um, they were trying to precognition whether or not somebody would 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 commit a crime, so they were putting these you know this computer program together and they identified these people and said, well, we think that they might become criminals one day. So they started harassing them and trying to find anything they could find to get them behind bars on on any technicality. Well, there's so many laws on the books that that becomes easy to do. So we you had families just being harassed by the police department and having done nothing wrong at all you know completely innocent of everything and um that's how the system gets abused and we want to talk about well okay this is just a case of uh over ambitious uh policing and it's not about a race issue that's true and it's also false right so there are truths that the government that the police will over police uh, on these drug things and, and they're trying to make quotas and, and they'll violate rights of individuals all the time. But there's also the aspect that in that situation, you can look at the numbers that the statistics supposedly show that the black people are creating or committing more crimes. Well, they're not committing more crimes. They're just getting punished for the crimes. They're, they're the ones being sought after because the statistics say that. So it's like a, it's like a, a feedback loop mm -hmm. that reinforces this, this notion that just not true. When you look at the actual data, you know, people go, well, look at the FBI crime statistics. I thought we weren't listening to the government. I thought the government was lying to us. Mm -hmm. Now you want to believe the FBI statistics and you don't even do any research into what the FBI statistics say and why they say what they say, because you want to use those to defend the government's, continuing to 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 violate the rights of these people right and it's 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 maddening because these are the people who supposedly call themselves patriots and they're not they're the exact opposite yeah you'll find that right data here. point that they have they'll find that data point and they'll grab onto it you know without looking at the 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 system the statistics that was used to make that type of report it is the sickening thing with uh, the brianna taylor that never already got me is as a gun owner you go through your gun training that you know you're regardless of what's going on like you can defend your house you're still responsible for all these the bullets that are coming out the 
your gut. You know, you're responsible for every one of those. You know, so and it just shows that Kenneth Walker was held responsible for his bullets coming out, but they weren't held responsible. You know, they they shot someone who wasn't shooting back at them. That's the thing they always got. It's like, okay, but she mm-hmm. shooting. It's it's like yeah. so you're not responsible for the bullets leaving your gut, you know. So so, so if you have you have reckless endangerment because you're shooting at somebody uh, at a wall that might affect a neighbor who's not involved, then why would you also not get reckless endangerment for finding somebody who's not attacking you, who's right. not being violent against you, who's not a danger to you, right? right? And it's we we give the uh, the police this, you know. He's going for the gun, and that's their excuse now. They carry, you know, drop guns. They do all these things to to make the shooting good in their minds. Mm-hmm. But they're not taking the time to say, maybe I should wait a second more. Correct. You know, yeah. let me wait till I'm actually in some sort of danger. You know, this video of a a, a guy who had gone on a high speed chase. Uh, they got him into a parking lot of a a, a store and. Uh, he gets out of the car and he's complying with everything that they're asking him to do. They tell him to get on the ground. He gets on the ground. They tell him to roll over. He rolls over. They tell him to put his hands in the air. Then they tell him to stand up. You know, he's done everything that they've asked him to do at that point. So he's no longer an active danger to anybody. He's not driving the car and hurting anybody. He's, he's complying with their law, with what they're telling him to do. And they release dogs on him. Right. And he had done a literally nothing wrong. And they're like, well, he kind of hesitated. He showed you he had no gun. He had lifted up his shirt and proved he had no gun on. He was no danger to you whatsoever. And you still release the dogs on him and let the dog chew on him for a, a full minute while you're trying to tie, you know, and he's screaming, let get the dog off me, help me get the dog off me. And they were just telling the dog, good boy, you know, and it, nobody's outraged, you know, and, and, and it's like we said, we, they've been marching in the streets. They've been having protests. Look what happened to Kaepernick when he was trying to make a point. He was trying to get attention to the issue. It just devolves, you know? So what, at what point, you know, I don't think they should ever go into a violent situation. I don't think I don't support violence, but at some point you have to understand their frustration, right? You have to understand the frustration and feelings where it's like, this is an oppressive government to these people. It's the same mentality as the people like, the anti-mask, it's just amazing to me that the anti-mask crowd who marched in the streets in April doesn't understand the the Black Lives Matter protesters who marched in the streets in July. Right. Like, the point is that the boot of the neck of the government, the boot of the government is on the neck of the people. Mm-hmm. Like, people are saying rightly, you don't have the right to close down my business and destroy my life. And they're saying you don't have the right to destroy my life. And then nobody's held accountable. A wall is more valuable to the state of Kentucky than the body of Breonna Taylor. And then we look at them and say, you don't have a right to be offended by that. And then they look at us and go, you don't have a right to be offended by your business being closed down. The problem is not like we're sitting here buying into the propaganda of the president who wants to pit each other, pit us against each other. Like, People go, well, you have you are you have Trump derangement syndrome. And you go, that is the president, the head of the government, trying to maintain power by any means necessary 
and his chief tool is pitting you against me so we don't look at him and go, they're the problem. The system is the problem. The government is the problem. The one thing that this government does not want is Black Lives Matter and the Tea Party marching together against them. So they pit us against each other. And the media just, all right, we're going to get all kinds of great ratings out of this fight because it's the Colosseum. It's the same ghoulish mentality of our Roman forefathers who are watching cops and black people shoot each other and fight it out and which which team am I on and people who are police officers and people of color and people involved in the who pay the cost of the drug war all going please listen to us and stop voting this way help 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 and then we go I'm sorry I can't listen to you I've got to argue over whether or not the cops are better than black people I, 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 and I don't get why people are they like it's not liberal it's not leftist to go I get why the black community is tired of laws oppressing them because the, the Michigan protesters who are bringing their guns are tired of being oppressed too like and I know that there's not not a moral equivalence between generations of having that boot on your neck and six weeks of having that boot on your neck so I'm not trying to say that I want but I'm trying to get the people who are protesting the mask laws to understand why their fellow Americans and fellow human beings who want to be recognized as more valuable than a wall are protesting. And, and then you don't listen and don't change the system because you've got the convenient out of the rioters who are different than the protesters, but you don't give a fuck because you've got permission to not care because they destroyed property. It just pisses me off. It's outrageous. Like, as libertarians, our goal should be when the boot of the neck is on the, when the boot of the state is on the neck of our fellow citizens, we should fight for them. And I don't, I'm not buying into the leftist, the anti-left, oh, well, we, we should allow Donald Trump to destroy the system and completely lie about ballots so he can maintain power because th- if we don't destroy the system, they're going to destroy the system. Yeah, I never got this. This <laughs> this whole, you know. An- so we got people who are anti-Marxist or anti-leftist or anti-commies or whatever, right? And they're going, well, Black Lives Matter is a is a Marxist organization, therefore we're not going to support it. Like, I don't care if you know they were Satanist or whatever. What what are if the point they're making is valid? The point they're making is valid. It doesn't matter. If it's that organization or a different, or, you know, we don't approve of that organization. Therefore, we're just not going to support the cause that they're actually fighting for. It makes no sense whatsoever. You know, that's that's excusism. That's, you know, we're supposed to be individualists. Right. And we're supposed to look at things in an individualist type of thing and not group people together into groups. And the first thing that happens is uh, people start saying all oh, the riots are causing this issue. Therefore, you know, the whole movement is, is invalid and we should ignore them. Right. It, it, it that doesn't have, so in every peaceful transition of, of, you know, progress that's happened, let's you can go back to Gandhi, you can go to Martin Luther King, all of those situations, there was violence involved in some way or form in those fights. You know, Martin Luther King was just trying to say, we shouldn't be, um, being violent, but there were still some violent actions taking place and people were blaming him 
for causing the violence because he was out there protesting and, and basically giving them cause to do so. Even in the Revolutionary War, there, you know, before the war even started, there were people who were, as I said before, you know, the, the Patriots and the Tories, and there were Patriots who were actually tar and feathering. That's where this phrase tar and feathering came from was a revolution was pre-revolutionary war where they were taking Tories and they were throwing, you know, oils on them and, and hitting them with feathers and they were destroying their businesses and they were uh, burning down their homes and chased 80,000 people out of the country and fled to Canada and other places just to get away from the harassment that they were under, under, because we were trying to fight against the government and the, you know, the net result of when things get that bad is that some people decide to, to resort to violence because of emotions and, and feeling helpless and, and feeling like they were being oppressed and, and they're being attacked because of that. So they had to, their defense is to fight back. So I, I prefer that they didn't do that because it does muddy the, the messaging, but I also I'm not going to discount what they are saying, what the majority of these people are saying, just because you have outliers of people, uh, 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 10, 5, 10% of the people who are getting mad and are trying to be heard. And they're, so they're setting fire to things. I mean, they're, they're, it's wrong, but it's also understandable, and it doesn't invalidate the message. It doesn't invalidate what is happening that anybody can look at. As individuals, separate those two. Separate those two people. Separate yeah. the protesters from the criminals, the people who are committing criminal acts. But most people don't want to because then, you know, so, all right, uh, okay, so uh, yeah. well, and Michael, you, Michael Perry, thing before, actually, thing Michael Perry oh. makes a good point here. He goes, this is why they should turn off cell service during these riots. I agree. Like some of this is performative. Yeah. But it's also that you had you had those three people. Was it five people who stood outside the 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 hospital when the two police were shot? Right, and they were saying somebody said, "Yeah, we will hope they die." It was one person. There were five people there protesting. It was one person who said it on camera, and all of a sudden, Joe Biden wants the police to die. <laughs> right, it's a propaganda within a day. I'm right. like, that's that's there. You're being used, you know. Don't fall for that stuff. Yeah, and Harry. the one thing, like with help propelled Dr. Martin Luther King to the forefront of the civil rights movement, was the simple fact because they were trying to make sure that this movement is violence. So the only way to do it was get a leader, push everyone. Just like, nope, we're going to be peaceful. We're going to walk. This is like we have to showcase that we're peaceful. We want to get our message across. And the people were being violent. The people who did like our message. So we're going to show up at, on our Sunday's best, on our Sunday best, and we're just going to walk. This is how we're going to do our protest now. Because anyone doing something regardless, different than us, it's not with us. And that's one thing that, I like, I get the leaderless movement thing. Trust me, I, I, I like the spontaneous order about it. But you will get people who just will just say they are part of this structure coming down there, and they will be. And sometimes they're just bad actors or grifters just trying to get something. There's a great show. Oh, go ahead, Harry. Sorry. And that's one thing that, like, Black Lives Matter, like, the, the organization is doing as a good idea. Like, this is what it is, but they need to push someone to the forefront and can try to, for lack of a better term, control or try to funnel the like their protest. Like, nope, this is how we're going to protest. We're going to protest peacefully and show up in your Sunday's best. I'm sorry. This is what we're going to have to do. So we can tell, like, nope, you're not with us. You know how I know you're not with us? You look like trash. You're wearing denim. We told no one to wear denim. Yeah, so um, 
there's a great show on Showtime. I pay Amazon Prime for the Showtime subscription solely for the circus and CBS for 60 minutes because I'm an 80-year-old man. Um, but the circus is a bunch of reporters that travel around and do like on the ground immersive journalism on video. And they went to Kenosha and at the end he's talking to, um, and the ballot one, we'll play an audio clip of it next week. It's great. Um, but we're going to talk about all the mail fraud and the basically Donald Trump's complete lies (laughs) in a couple episodes next weekend. Um, because he's just lying to win re-election, and y'all are falling for it. And I, I just, again, it's going to be an, another angry episode. I apologize if I've been too much, but I, I this just it's pent up rage for a week on this. Um, but they they interview a guy who's been head of the Black Lives Matter movement in Milwaukee, and he's like, "We don't want any of this. We go home, and we're in bed by the time these people are destroying this stuff. It makes us look terrible." You know, Daily Caller's on the ground in Louisville the other night, and I'm watching on Twitter. There's a clip from the Daily Caller reporter, one of them that got arrested. Police arrested them, even though they said they were journalists. And Ali Velshi and all these other journalists from around the world said, yep, these Daily Caller journalists should not have been arrested. It was nice, nice mending fences a little bit. This guy pulls out a gun. And all of a sudden, all the other people rush the guy with the gun and take his gun away and make him leave. If you watch, and maybe that's why they shouldn't turn the cell service off, because when you actually watch the video of what's happening on the ground, the narrative from the right about these protests and the president is completely blown apart. It's it's really what individualists like libertarians often say. There are a thousand different motivations in a crowd of a thousand people for being there. And to block all of them as one group of individuals. It's it's why I hated it. I hated when the Tea Party got like I lost it on the the a, a forthcoming episode of the the Pat Down where Miss Pat says I'm a racist for being a part of the Tea Party, <laughs> and I was just like, how fucking dare you? You know what I mean? Like I just it, it, everybody shows up to the Tea Party rallies ten years ago with different motivations. The QAnon conspiracy nut at the anti-mask protest standing next to the small business owner that's angry about his investment being destroyed have two very different motivations and you get mad at the New York Times when they conflate the two. Um I will say this. I want to uh, you know a lot of great comments. I want to thank um Ethan Bishop Hinchman for saying Gorsuch is an Episcopalian, Kagan is Jewish and then everybody else is a Catholic on the court. Um Warren B. says, it's a sad chain of events. Thanks for the breakdown, Chris. That's the most thorough one I've heard. As someone who lives in Kentucky, I get my news from a guy in Indiana. Um, Jericho writes, to be fair, people are so used to being indoctrinated into being free thinkers and independent researchers that they believe the quick post and info they see on the Internet. It's sort of difficult to sort out the real facts as lay people. You have to know where your reliable sources are. Thanks for helping out with that with Wall. I will share this podcast you share the podcast during election season you are forever my hero that's the best way we grow um tony writes the problem is the media and what is portrayed and how it is reported the media just plays into what will get hype and doesn't address the underlying issues old antiquated laws and bad laws the media does nothing to help to try to fix the issues it just tries to inflame them i agree there's much to change that needs to happen but there are better ways than to incite people to hurt others um, Jericho writes, Hate Inc. by Matt Taibbi is a fantastic book. 
I don't share his politics, but his subject is spot on. Uh, he's a great reporter, and his Substack. I pay five bucks a month to read Matt Taibbi. Um, so Tony continues, what I'm trying to say is the media deflects and amplifies issues to sell more papers and get more hits. It does nothing to help fix things. You're right, and you're partly wrong. And I will, I will say that the media is not helpful as a whole, right? So if I think there's two ways to break this down. First, there is the media, right? There's, again, going back to that stereotyping the group. And you look at the media as kind of like if you're not paying attention, the block, and when you think the media, just the dashboard of what you see on your social media and the mainstream institutions and, you know, your, your vision, if you're, if you're listening to Ben Shapiro every day and that's your only view of what the media is, then you have a very, like, you know, homogenous view of what the media is. If you're only reading media matters every day, you have a very homogenous view of what the right wing media is, you know? And so for the sake of like trying to break down arguments, we will often group together people and argue against that. And the problem is when you say like all black lives matter are Marxist or all tea party are Nazi, like, right. Like you, you are, you are doing an, an, you're doing intellectual damage to your credibility because you're not breaking it all out. Right. The media is yes, the media, but there's thousands of outlets, right? There's tons of great journalism out there who is trying to explain the problem. Radley Balco is one of those people that we go to, Right. Like there are plenty of politicians who are just, you know, they're trying to get ahead in politics and they'll say and do whatever they need to do. And there's plenty of media members who are just like, like, I'm not a big Tim Pool fan. I think that Tim Pool comes to a conclusion and then finds evidence to support the conclusion he's already reached. Right. Like that's why I'm against Donald Trump and this mail in ballot stuff. He decided that the election was going to be corrupt no matter what before a vote was cast. He has no evidence to back up his side. It's just that he's going to repeat that into reality. And then the right will, the right leaning media will do what they did with. And then the left media will get offended by that. And the New York times will do articles about Sean Hannity and the daily wire and how they're all like conflating all this stuff. And then everybody fights and fights and fights. And then Donald Trump gets reelected because it's just a foregone conclusion that the the election was stolen. You know, it sort of happened with Hillary Clinton. so there's a lot of media outlets who are. Hello. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm listening. OK, OK. There's a lot of media outlets out there that do have like a branch that are trying to do the in-depth dis- investigation and discussion of things like that. I mean, I, I know the Atlantic is not a big favorite by some people in the Should be. libertarian right community, <laughs> but it's it, they do a really good job of doing those deep investigative type of things. There's good people trying to do documentaries. It used to be better. Because local media was was more of where people got their news, you know, before CNN and we had cable news systems, right? People were getting their news from their local um, news sources, and they would get packages about certain topics, but they would also do in-depth about what's going on with, you know, the, you know, the mayor or this councilman or this, you know, things that were happening locally, and you would start to see really good in-depth reporting that way. And it, all of that's kind of gone now because of the centralization of the media, mm-hmm. right? So decentralizing it back again is going to open up a lot of those areas. But the 
there are still places out there doing this. And I know like NPR and, and like the Atlantic I was talking about, uh, uh, another good example is um, Glenn Greenwald's, you know, the intercept stuff. And um, so there are places you can find that have, that are doing what you're, you're talking about doing. But if people are just turning on TV and watching CNN or watching Fox news, they're not going to get those. Yeah. That's not the place to go get that information. That's where you hear, people trying to set up you know i think i think it kind of started with like point counterpoint mm-hmm. you remember that old show on pbs that's where we got the left on one side and the right on the other and we're gonna hash it out well it's and way cheaper it popular it's, format yeah it's way cheaper right? you get better ratings yeah. and it's way cheaper to just hire a couple opinion head talking heads than it yeah. is to send uh one of the best guys out there right now his name is tim alberta he writes for politico and he goes to places like he's been in Wisconsin. He lives in Michigan and he is going to all these swing states and doing all these interviews for Politico magazine and Politico. And he wrote a book called American Carnage, which is considered kind of like the best reporting on the Republican Party and how it ended up at Trump. And it's on the ground, immersive journalism. And he's a writer, you know, where you have vice where they send a reporter and a camera crew out to Syria to, during the war and they do their HBO show. Like all that, you know, 60 minutes where you've got a camera crew and you're sending them to a hotel and they're there for four days. And, you know, then all that's very expensive. Right. Mm -hmm. If you just hire me to come argue with you two and I'm responsible for showing up because I live in New York and we just meet at the studio and we do it and we yell at each other. I'm going to get better ratings. I'm going to pay less. All right, I got to pay you health insurance, but I'm paying three people to just show up and argue instead of paying three people for 100 days of hotel rooms a year, you know, and then all all the expenses that come with that. And you start bringing back the same people. So they get into these patterns. They know what the other person is going to say. They they basically invent conflict in their conversations, even though privately they probably might agree with each other on, on a lot of it. But they can't do that on the camera, right? So that's all acting at some point where people are saying, you know, uh, you disagree here with me on this and I'll, I'll argue this side. And anybody, any good debater will be able to tell you that they can take a side one way or the other, whether they believe it or not. And they can argue, you know, that position because that's what you're trained to do right that you're trained to be able to to make the case whether you whether you personally agree with one side or not so you see a lot of that in the talking heads where they just get up there and they know that what they're saying is complete garbage but it creates conflict and it creates the the show and it's it's like um reality tv i mean all that stuff is scripted ish you know, let's let's have them do this and see what happens. Let's put them in this situation and tell them to to give us the best result. Um, you're not seeing reality. You're seeing fake reality, just like you're seeing fake arguments on on these shows. Um, and it's it's destructive to to really get into it and watch it too much. That's why that Matt it, Taibbi book. Yeah. So Tony says, "I'm sorry, I'm implying the mainstream media." And then says, and that's the problem. People react to the first thing they see. They don't actually look into it. Politicians like Donald Trump take advantage of you not looking into it. Media outlets like the Daily Caller and the and Raw Story and Huffington Post take advantage of you not looking into it. You are the problem. Now, not you, dear listener, because you are here. You obviously like long format, boring. You like facts, which is totally nerdy, you know. And I'm going to put a couple of research papers into our show notes, like. 
you know, if you, you, you probably like The Dispatch or Vox and you like long stories, like you're not the typical person. But you, thanks to government, thanks to democracy, thanks to whatever form of the state you want to call it, are chained to the people who don't read as opposed to having the ability to privately coalition with people who do read and do take this stuff seriously, and they live the consequences of their decisions out there, and we try to think through the problems, and we have our own little anarchist community. Like, that's what libertarianism is about, is about breaking apart from the idiots. Even though I know we will have idiots in my version of society, it's that I want to give the idiots as few tools to hurt me or hurt Breonna Taylor or hurt Harry or hurt Reinhold or you as possible, right? That's what libertarianism is about. It's not about perfecting people. It's not about a utopian society. It's about having to suffer the consequ- less consequences of, uh, of idiots. But the media, the problem with the media is not the media. It's not them. It's you. The problem is not the left. It's you. The problem is you are making choices to incentivize the media to keep giving you that crap. You are on social media just reading the headline and not the article. Oh, well, it's like I got mad at uh, – I'm sorry, Bissell, <laughs> uh, but uh, Wall Group member, I just said, for fuck's sake, read the article. And he's like, it's paywalled. So I'm just going to keep repeating all the lies about Breonna Taylor I've read because it's paywalled. So I'm not going to inform myself. I can't afford $5 a month to be informed. Uh-oh. And so I got mad and I apologize to him. Yeah. But uh, Well, um, the thing too, yeah, it's, it's if, if we weren't watching CNN and watching Fox and watching these horrible shows it, and buying into it, then they would go away and they would change. Yeah, right. And the same with reality. Everybody complains about reality TV, but reality TV makes the money because right. people watch it. Right. You, you know, you, guilty you, pleasure type stuff. You'll so spend two hundred and fifty dollars a month on cable. You'll spend two hundred and fifty dollars a month for that cable package. Ah, I can't pay five dollars to support this journalist or podcast that I like. Right. Well, yeah, I don't want to give five dollars to Washington Post because they they lie about Trump. So why would I do that? Right, which forces this awful cycle of them having to make money off of ads. Right. And since they make money off of ads, they have to make money off the clicks then. So now it's shorter and shorter stories because they need clicks because it's ad revenue because you don't want to give them money. And they're incentivized to take ad money from people like defense contractors. Advertising does influence on a certain level the deci- what you report, what stories you choose, how it's crafted. It just does. Like it's... There are firewalls, and there, and I'm not a journalist hater. Like on the spectrum of people that cry leftist media and the media sucks, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I think like it's take one red pill, not the whole bottle. You know, it's degrees. Like yes, there are problems with the media, but if you go too far with I don't trust the leftist media, you end up being completely bamboozled by politicians that want to control your mind. And so you can't you can't ignore the Washington Post. Because the Washington Post reports things that are true that you need to read. Yep. And then you can go and read the Daily Wire and reconcile the differences in this. Right? right. Like that's that's, that's what that's you should try to do. Go. Yeah. Right. And and it's okay to understand the like Washington Post is owned by Amazon. That's cool. Understand that. Alphabet owns Google, owns YouTube. Understand these things. Understand that these big corporations are, are ordered this so you can understand that bias, but you should be able to read it. And understand and pull that information out of it that you need. And you and see, get, you see the how the advertising can really start affecting, you know, what 
what comes out of that you're even seeing that with joe rogan's going on right now right so he moves over to spotify now you have people at spotify are trying to curb his conversations or try to change how he does his business um and that's why i think uh, as much as i have a love-hate relationship with no agenda they have the model right right Mm -hmm. um it's just a case of in, in and it's kind of partially in their in their case where they have to kind of cater to getting people to give them money. Uh, they do a pretty good job of keeping themselves going for that. So they don't have to worry about editorial content. Um, but I think sometimes they also play up things in a way to make it more interesting so that they get more, more donations too. So there's a, there's a good and bad side to all of that, but you know, that's the problem is that advertising does play into it and we need to support more independent stuff. We need to support more, uh, support the people who are doing the long form discussions who are doing the putting out the documentaries that are really good in-depth documentaries and, and get your, you know, just stay away from the talking heads because they're just trying to convince you of something that, um, they believe and they want you to believe this stuff really matters because, the problem with what's happening right now with the election, we're going to talk a lot about legitimacy next week and that word. I wanted to do this episode first because to Brianna Taylor is a breakdown of legitimacy. And for many people in minority communities, the government never had any legitimacy. Because it doesn't represent them. You know, if, if you are, you're talking about police abolition. And th- like there was a very white suburban reaction to police abolition. Right. Well, that's not, we can't do that because we need the police because the police need to do this. The reality, as I've said forever, is you, you have visions of how the police ought to operate. You have visions of what, how, what the police do, because you've bought into the idea that they are there to serve and protect you. And that when you come home and there's a burglary happening in your house, well, you need a, a police officer to come and save you from that situation. When in reality, what happens 99% of the time is you come home and your house has, had, has been broken into and your shit's gone. And then you call the police and the police get there two hours later and take a report and then they leave. And then you never hear anything again. You never get your stuff back. It's pay, insurance pays it off. You live in a state of police abolition. People in the inner city look at the police abolition idea and go, yeah, no shit. I don't call the police. I don't have police protecting me. Why would I call the police? They're just going to shoot me. You know, because that happened to my cousin or that happened over here. Like the personal experiences of people who live in the communities, uh, like in, in urban communities, like you go to LA, there's I, like there's security guards in Jack in the Box, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting and there's private gates around every house in LA when you drive around it, and you go, why is this? Oh, because the police, the LAPD, is too big to function, and they don't do anything. You live in a state of anarchy, basically. There is you you are holding on to a fake idea, right? And so the the instead of just admitting reality we want to tell ourselves and have these fake fights and mobilize against each other and it's if we don't if we let 
if we don't let Donald Trump steal this election, the leftists are going to come and rape our wives and take over our our AMC movie theaters and make us wear masks, and it's just going to be awful. So we need to just let him steal the election because we can't let them steal the election. Like, what you don't understand is the breakdown in inner city communities and uh, between the police and the people that they allegedly protect and serve, that's a breakdown of legitimacy, of political legitimacy. It's a breakdown of stability. And you're now starting to see that spread into the, the other parts of society. And I'm, I'm going to say this f- frankly, like the point of the suburbs, and you can look this up, this is the history of suburbs. Our, our, our white, like Levittown. Okay, Levittown, New Jersey, first suburb. Men come home from the World War II. They get the GI Bill. They get loans. They move into Levittown. They they can get loans to to build that house. They have that first cornerstone of generational wealth in that new home. Mm-hmm. Blacks weren't allowed to move to Levittown. They didn't get loans. They didn't get that initial injection of cash. That like you go look at Frederick Douglass. I saw Frederick Douglass's uh, grandchildren reading. I think like the Emancipation Proclamation or something on Juneteenth, mm-hmm. and like the recording, the video recordings are like on Upper West Side penthouses. Because Frederick Douglass's grandchildren are killing it financially thanks to Frederick Douglass having that early ability to build wealth. And so generationally that trickled down. And so people moved into the suburbs because the minorities started to move in of any variety. And so they moved to the suburbs. And then all of a sudden, why is he, meaning Harry, driving around in our neighborhood? Pull them over. And so the the message is clear. Mm, you're not really welcome here, you know. And so, but we've lived in our bubbles of stability for a long time. That's starting to break down because the legitimacy of the state is breaking down, which leads to a very tumultuous, scary situation. And the Breonna Taylor situation as white people start waking up to what's happening in communities in which they don't live, go, that's not right. This system's fucked. We need to change it. And those of you who are holding on to, we need to keep the system as is are going to lose the fight, right? Like there's just no way around it. Like drug laws are going to get repealed. We're going to change the no knock raids. We're going to change qualified immunity and you can fight and be on the wrong side of ending the drug war. That's your choice, but you're going to lose. Because the majority of the country is no longer in agreement with drug laws work. We need to, we need to send militarized police into drug communities and kill Breonna Taylor, who's an innocent victim. Because they have not been responsible with the power. The judge wasn't responsible with the power. The police weren't responsible with the power. The, the district attorney and the prosecutors haven't been responsible with their power. They've lost legitimacy with the population that, that they represent. All of us who study the American Revolution knows what happens next. And so then all of a sudden you get the counter-revolutionaries and the tensions rise. And then you get Kyle Rittenhouse and then you get battles on the streets. And all of a sudden, the tension that you see between Kyle Rittenhouse and Antifa, the Proud Boys versus Antifa, that's happening in a centralized small location in Wisconsin or Seattle in a very small geographic area. But what is about to happen, what happens with, you know, 
ending every time you change the constitutional order, you change the effects on the system in relation to the people. You direct elect senators, which leads to the end of the filibuster judicially, that which leads to, you know, Amy, then the Republicans say one thing in 2016 and do another, which leads to adding two more states or packing the courts, which leads to, which leads to, which leads to, and each side starts going, you are responsible for my misery. I'm going to fight you. The Republicans with the, the Republicans are basically saying to you in 2020, we no longer believe in a constitutional government. We no longer believe in the constitutional order. We're admitting to you that we no longer believe in limited government. We are walking away from that because the left walked away from it a long time ago. We need to walk away from it too. And now we're admitting this is a power politics state which is the most powerful government in the history of humanity with the most weapons and the most money and the most resources, most to lose. And all of a sudden, that pure power struggle that takes place between the Proud Boys and Antifa gets put into law. And it's no longer affecting Kyle Rittenhouse and the five people in front of him. It's affecting 370 million people. And legitimacy breaks down further. Donald Trump, and we'll, we'll get right into this uh, next week in more in depth, but Breonna Taylor is a crisis of legitimacy because of the way that the state acts. And the people who are on the streets are saying, you are an illegitimate government. Change or else. And that is the right of the people per the Declaration of Independence. And so what you get sucked into when you have two pure power political gangs fighting over the gun is it tit for tat it's tit for tat between antifa then the proud boys form and then kyle rittenhouse and then it's the next one and then it's the next one and then that gets shut sucked into the structural system of government and then all of a sudden you've got it affecting 370 million people there's going to be a lot of people that will not view the supreme court as a legitimate organ so the left in California says we no longer recognize Donald Trump's second term or his Supreme Court because Scalia may retire or, or Thomas may retire or die. Breyer is 62. If Trump gets a second term, there may be two more seats that fall to the right. So now all of a sudden you've got – let's just take the, the, the legitimacy crisis of Donald Trump not wanting to respect the vote. Donald Trump says – it's close. He, he, he loses by a thin margin. He says, I'm not leaving. And all of a sudden, it's a choice of Joe Biden's constitution or Donald Trump's constitution. And the military and police forces and the, 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 what we call the, the establishment powers the state governments, the local governments, they all side with Joe Biden's constitution. But then there's the three percenters. There's the Kyle Rittenhouses. There's everybody else who goes, uh, the Oath Keepers. They go, I'm, so, I'm siding with Donald Trump's constitution. Well, then that's pure power politics at play. That's the danger of, of where we could head if where we probably, I don't want to say we will head, but like, when a government overreaches in the way that it did with the Breonna Taylor case and loses legitimacy, the stakes are very high. Mm -hmm. When we start to give in to Donald Trump's like 
lies about the ballot because he's lying. Go read the Atlantic article that I'll put in the show notes if you want to read ahead for next week. He's just not telling you the truth about the ballots. The ballots are secure. The amount of voter fraud, according to the Republican Heritage Foundation, is 0.0000000.2% or something crazy like that. Like those seven ballots that they found in Philadelphia is part of that marginal error. It is not a proof of a conspiracy. Donald Trump, in my opinion, is a fascist-leaning person. But because the American checks and balance system of, of government, it, it, it doesn't allow a fascist-leaning president like Donald Trump to have real power because there's so many checks on that power. There's, uh, this is why you don't want to get rid of the Electoral College because Donald Trump can either fuck with the Electoral College, which is less likely, or the Electoral College can be the backstop to electing a Donald Trump. And so Donald Trump, what fascists or what dictators or authoritarians usually do, like in Russia or everywhere in the history of authoritarians, what they do is they rig the vote. They stuff the ballot box. But because there's 5,000 counties that all use similar systems but have different operations, it is completely impossible for somebody like Donald Trump to rig the election which means it's entirely impossible for the left to rig the election. So use your brains, right? Like Donald Trump is a person that if he could, he's telling you, he's saying it. He said, my win was rigged. I actually won the popular vote if it hadn't been for all those illegal votes. He said that in 2016, like, or or 2017. Like he didn't think his own win was like, he's so you you because you don't read because you don't go and find out the facts because you don't know how the system works because you don't know about Amy Coney Barrett and abortion because you don't know how uh, laws are crafted and what what you know judicial precedents are are implemented or because you don't know how police procedure works in the Breonna Taylor case you get mad that they weren't charged with murder or you go they got off at a technicality that's good because you don't know how ballots are harvested because you don't know no no and all this is easy for you to understand if you get involved and read and read widely. And because you don't, it leads to a crisis of legitimacy. It leads to more violence. It leads to more breakdown. It leads to enshrining that into law. Public opinion is important because what public opinion says is okay gets enshrined into law. And when you say public opinion says it's okay to just keep kids in concentration camps at the border – it gives license for them to do a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And when you have a pure power state, one side eventually loses. And then you end up with China that just has revealed, it's been revealed that 400 concentration camps for Uyghurs. Mm-hmm. A pure political, a pure power state is not something you want to live in. So you better start paying attention because it's, it's a, it's a, the Brianna Taylor legitimacy crisis is a canary in the coal mine, and it's it's important to pay attention to. We gotta we gotta wrap up. We'll do. A, I don't know if we want to. We'll, I'll talk to them off air if we're gonna restart another episode to talk about the debate commission, or we're gonna do one Monday night. But um, we gotta end this episode because it's already two and a half hours. So, uh, final thoughts, uh, Reinhold. Um. Just to to go on to what you were saying just a minute ago about uh, power politics and what fascist kind of situations do and rigging the vote, 
the one other thing that they do is they try to um, subvert the rule of law and, and use the, the, you know, the law and order that's in place uh, with, with people like maybe a bill Barr who goes in and, and starts um, corrupting that whole uh, process so that uh, the law is now being used to assist and defend the people who um, are friends of the, of those in power. And it is used to attack and destroy the enemies of the people in power. And that's, uh, another thing that happens and we're seeing taking place too. So uh, just be cautious be aware, look at what's going on, read, um, get involved. Break out of the left, right mindset and start paying attention to power versus people. Mm-hmm. Right. Authoritarianism versus uh, individualism. Yep. Um, I think uh, – Spangle touches on this a whole bunch is if you question or have the validity of the, the votes or counters like that, all you can, you can easily one volunteer for election day to go that, that there yes. to help out the polls. You can even help like with the county. This I system think. is so corrupt and managed by George Soros that you can go volunteer yep. and sit at your polling place and watch all the ballots. Like you can literally go be a judge. You can call like everybody's old. So they're looking for people right now. If you are so concerned about your vote, not counting and you think I'm crazy, even though I've served on a state commission called the help America vote act commission as the libertarian representative, despite being a part of two recounts that ended with three and 14 votes difference, despite hundreds of elections over like, well, dozens of elections that I participated in oversaw as a reporter and a political consultant. Like if you really think, even though my experience, Oh, it's, it's, it's just your experience. You can't say that's the truth everywhere. Guess what? You can go volunteer, Harry. You can go volunteer and be part of the corruption. And what you're going to see is exactly what I've been saying, and you're going to see that I'm right, and I will accept my public apology. Right. Yeah. Yep. Please go go volunteer. Go do that. Because the real voter fraud happens before the votes is even casted. Um, we'll get to this later. Is The voter fraud is the polls, uh, not like you're saying, not reflecting the ballot, and the debates not also reflecting the ballot. So that is... <laughs> That's where the real voter fraud happens. Yeah, exactly. It's it. the straight ticket voting. It's the stuff we talked at the beginning. That's where the ba- that's where the voter fraud starts. It's gerrymandering. It's dr- districts drawn by politicians. It's yep. straight, you know, ballot access restrictions. Like that's the voter fraud. That's mm-hmm. the voter disenfranchisement. But yep. the the a lot of ballots are always handled by two people of both of different parties, judges locked up like. Mm-hmm. Your vote, you know, with absentee mail-in voting, it typically it gets cast out by 20%. So, like, it goes through machines, and they scan between your driver's license signature, your voter ID signature, your voter registration signature, excuse me, and they compare that to the ballot, and they have one scan, and then they have a second scan for problems, and then they have a third scan. Like, mail-in voting is not a problem. And anybody who tells you, like, mail-in voting and absentee voting, which are basically the same thing, is rife with fraud is completely full of shit and they don't know what they're talking about and you should not you should question them like you should literally go how can you be a political commentator and know so little about the basic function of voting 
because they don't know what they're talking about. And you can prove me wrong by going and volunteering as a judge, as a watcher. If you are part of a Republican, Democrat, or Libertarian Party, like here in Indiana, I can call my local clerk and say, uh, you know, the, your county chairman of the Libertarian Party in Indiana can call up the clerk and go, we need watcher cards. And I can get a watcher card, which allows me to then go into any precinct or polling place in the county and literally stand there and watch over people because – if you work for a political party, you get calls from your supporters and they go, hey, there's something funny going on at the ballots here. And then a lawyer who works for one of the two parties, usually both parties show up to that precinct and watch over it. And the problem is usually a judge or a volunteer for the clerk doesn't understand what's going on. A voter has been disenfranchised and the, the judge or, or the watcher for the party, the lawyer comes in and says X, Y and Z. The clerk doesn't know what they're talking about. The check and balances, the state election division, all of this stuff, all of these processes that are somewhat standardized across the nation are all designed for balance to enfranchise as many voters as possible. So like it's all right there. If you go watch it, I've watched it for 20 years and I have no, absolutely no doubt that my vote counts. You know, this is the first year where, the Republican Party is fucking with votes so hard and manipulating the system because the only way for Donald Trump to win is to use the 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 election laws and the ballots and the like the Texas GOP is suing the Republican governor of Texas because he wanted to give an extra week for deadlines because of the mail problems. Donald Trump fucks with the post office, which delays the week, the mail by weeks. The governor of Texas wants to make sure as many people can vote in Texas, which is a swing state. And the Republican Party of Texas sues him saying that's not appropriate. We want as few people to vote. And you just go, why are we believing Donald Trump when in in North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Florida, Texas? It's the Republican Party. The Republicans in Wisconsin um, they uh the green party wanted to get on the ballot they were disorganized a republican law firm reached out to them and then had them wait to file their challenge to the printed ballots until the day like the deadline basically and tried to get an injunction to keep and 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 wisconsin would have been would have had to print all of their paper ballots over because a republican law firm tried to dis to, to fuck up that like it's hard enough with all the, the paper ballots and absentee ballots with the pandemic and the, the, the demand is like two, three times. It's the Republican law firm in Wisconsin trying to prevent people in Wisconsin, a swing state, from voting. And you can let your little butthole pucker that I'm criticizing Republicans and saying they're corrupt because you used to vote Republican, but now you call yourself a libertarian, but you're too afraid to let go of the binky that is your former party. But this is who is doing, who is doing the voter fraud this time. Like, I, I I know you found seven ballots in Pennsylvania, but that doesn't even come close to the amount of lawsuits that Republicans are filing in all these swing states to prevent people from voting. Because they think, probably rightly, that the more voters that turn out, the worse it is for them. Because they think that misinformed voters vote Democrat. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and J- we'll end with Jericho. Um, she says, I believe it's she, the picture's a she, um, 
the government depends on the ignorance of the people. If the majority understood the power versus the people, there would have already been a modern-day revolution. It's coming. And it's the job of every libertarian to prepare. Because in a pure power state, it's very easy for an authoritarian figure to say, I know we have hyperinflation. Trust me, I will fix it. I know that the left is scary. Trust me, I will fix it. And when people, st- liberty thrives in stability. When I was executive director from 08 to 12, we had a very stable economy, society, even in the middle of the, like, all things considered, even during the Great Recession, things were fairly stable. And you look at these massive gains. Do you expect that if people are hungry and if people are broke and people are angry that they're going to turn to anarchy, like in our version of it, the, the libertarian vision of the world, or are they going to turn to somebody that will punish the people that made them hurt? So culture sets the, the political environment. And so you've got to be informed and you've got to be sharing things like this show. You've got to be talking about liberty. That's why we're doing the Liberty Explained po- podcast. And I, I don't have time for another podcast. I have a life and a girlfriend and college and this podcast and my job and another podcast and another podcast and a business I want to start. And I don't have time for another podcast, but I don't see an alternative because time is running out. So if you people don't share it, I'm just not going to do it anymore because then it's not worth any. (laughs) Go libertyexplained.com. We're trying to help give you the tools to set the ability for us to reset to something that is workable because where, where we're at is not workable. It's not legitimate. It's, it's, it's just going to, and it has the potential to get much worse. So, all right, with that, thank you both for joining me. Thank you all who are watching and we will see you again very soon.